Welcome back, everybody. So this is the start of part two, which is our reviews and our main topic. So we're going to start off with Mandalorian. <sighs> so, um, so the dude on the wall. Okay, so we'll, I'll just I'll get to that when I get to it. So the the episode starts off with the village alarm going off, and you know. Um, well, I say village because it, it seemed to be like a like a small like a small village on this world with trees with no leaves and giant tadpole looking things that just eat trees like they're bamboo. Um, so, so we got the the troops coming out. There seems to be a lot of fog, and uh, they're looking around. And then there's Ahsoka. So I have to say, uh, I like Rosario Dawson. Like the the second most attractive part of her is her mouth. Like those lips, just Ugh. if you know. So she she visually she she looks like a a very good uh, adult Ahsoka. But I don't know why they keep calling her a Jedi, unless something changed uh, between Clone Wars and now since she was kicked out of the order in clone wars. Mm. But so, uh, so we see her, she walks up to the, uh, at least I think she did. She walks up to the, to the gate and the, the, I guess the captain of the guard who I, at first I thought was Bill Burr, but it turns out it's Michael Bain. You would remember him from such films as the original Terminator. And uh, so I'm seeing this and I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, what the hell did they do to piss Ahsoka off? But we find out later. And uh, I don't know if, if this is something the force can do for you, but it seems like she can use the force to make herself disappear. Uh, so we see that opening and we cut to the razor crest where baby Yoda. You all right over there? I'm fine. Uh, drinking from cup. Gotcha. I guess baby Yoda's sitting on the, uh, on the dashboard and Din's like, I'm, I'm starting the landing cycle, you know, go, go get in your seat. Baby Yoda doesn't. And, he, and Din's like, go get in your seat. So baby Yoda goes, climbs up into the seat and we, and we see that same damn ball on that switch from the first season. And I'm like, uh, is it back in your seat, baby Yoda? But he wants that little ball. So he uses the force to get it. They land and he's, you know, he's walking, walking down the, the landing ramp. Baby Yoda's got the ball and he walks up to the, to the village and oh, this this next note that I wrote down, uh, I'm getting a lib hate walls themed totalitarian vibe from this village, and yeah, pretty much. So he goes up to the gate. the 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 village guard captain, you know, you know, greets him. I'm using quotation marks when I say that, and. Uh, so he gets led in and like any villager that's out there just kind of disappears. Like 
you know, he tries to ask a, uh, oh, what did he call her? A vendor. Yeah, he tries to ask a vendor for information, but she just runs off and shuts the door behind her. Then he turns and sees an an elder Asian gentleman with two kids. He turns to him and asks, you know, what's going on in this village? And uh, old guy's like, uh, don't, you know, don't talk to us, just leave us alone. And then two of of the city guards come up and say the magistrate wants to speak to you. So they're walking up to the to the magistrate's building, I'm going to say, or city hall or whatever you want to call it. And there's six poles, three on each, three on each side. And there's three people in them. And it's, uh, I, I didn't know how quite to describe it, but it's like they're almost being crucified without being nailed to the cross. Like they're sitting there and, and one dude looks down and is like, help me. But then he starts getting shocked by the, the three rings that are in, you know, enclosing him in. Yeah, it's like a, a it, it's sort of like, well, no, it, it's for you. For me, it looked like it was it was like a weird rendition of an electric chair. Hmm. And any yeah. form of movement caused the shock. Yeah. Or uh, I just now thought of it, the, the stocks, which is like that uh, they're placed in, in, in medieval times, they were placed in the, in the town square. And it was like those two slats of wood and you put the mm. prisoner's head and hands in it and then lock it. So they just kind of have to sit there. Yeah. So they can be that's what I was trying to think of, but yeah, so, so that happens. And, uh, Den is let into the, into the magistrate building and we see the, the magistrate and, uh, obviously in order to move the plot forward, she wants Din to kill the Jedi who's been harassing them. And she calls one of the, uh, assassin droids over and takes this spear and she offers it to din to inspect it he looks at it he taps it against his uh his van his his van brace his arm his arm armor and it dings and he's like oh so it's beskar i'm surprised he didn't immediately like ask where did you get it and you know he was just gonna take it from her but whatever so she offers him that as payment to get rid of the Jedi problem. So he accepts. Of course, he's not going to kill her. Uh, so there. So we go back out to the city gate, and the his his name is hey, Lang. Uh, quick interruption, yeah. but you know he's not going to kill her because he never actually says the words that he agrees to kill her. He's just like, "Who's my target?" And right. if no, you well, notice. Uh-huh. It's going to be very expensive. Or yeah, like he said it was. Like that. Yeah, he's like it's going to be very expensive. And whenever, like, if you've noticed with Din, if he doesn't specifically say, then he's going to find some loophole around it. So since he didn't specifically say he was going to hunt her or take her down or anything like that, it, yeah, it was pretty obvious. Oh, he's now. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? Well, I mean, we can't have we can't have Ahsoka being killed, anyways. At least not yet. Well, right, but it's funny when uh, you have a character like the Baron. I, I I just call her Baroness. I can't remember her name. Not that it's important in any way. Um, but the Baroness like doesn't know that, so she just took it as his agreement to it. So it's funny when the villain of the episode does that. Just like when he had the one dude tied from his uh, ankles from the light, and he was like, right. "You will not die by my hand." And he's like, "Okay, I'll tell you." He told him everything, and he just shot the light out and walked away as he got as he got eaten by the things in the dark. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. did that specifically say I will bring no harm to you. You're probably in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so. We're back at the at the village gates, and Lang, which is his name, looks at Baby Yoda in the sling, and he's like, "What? What is that thing?" And Din tells him he keeps it for luck. And Lang's like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna need it." And uh, so he goes into the woods, starts looking around. Now, I, I do have to say, the way they introduce Ahsoka in this episode is was pretty cool. Like, she she wasn't fucking around when, like, she, she ignites her sabers, tries to attack him. And I thought this was very interesting. I didn't know Beskar could deflect lightsabers. To my knowledge, there was only... Uh, at least in the in the books, there was only one thing that could. No, no, that that was force. It stopped force. What uh, I, I found as um, it's it was called Yasalamari. It was like this material that the enemies would use to uh, stop force. Like it, it was like it was like lead for X-rays. Like you couldn't a, a force user couldn't use the force past anything wrapped in it. Okay. So, uh, they, they meet, he tries to, uh, he tries to wrap her with the, uh, with the grappling hook, but she jumps over a tree and just slings him up on it. And, uh, uh, the, the conversation, like the actual words they said are escaping me. But he was like, I'm not, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to talk about something. And she was like, I hope it's about him pointing at baby Yoda. So we, <laughs> they, they, Din is like off, like say like 10 or 20 feet away from, from them. And they're, and uh, Ahsoka is just staring at baby Yoda. Baby Yoda's staring back. She smiles a couple times. Then, uh, and gets up and walks over. And this is where we find out that Baby Yoda's name is Grogu. Uh, and that he was al evidently alive during the Clone Wars. Now, my understanding is Mandalorian takes place 30 years after Return of the Jedi. So it would have to be older than 50. Um, but, yeah... So Din is all like, it was my quest to bring the child to you or to the Jedi. 
and Ahsoka do, does that that goddamn um, aloof like Jedi talk, and she's like, you know, I sense much fear in him. I can't train him because of of his attachment to you, and and this and that, and then Din's like, well, uh, you know. I can help you with your problem if you'll, you know, train Grogu and, you know, take him off my hands. So they, they set up the plan. She, she walks into the village, drops the, uh, the shoulder piece that's got the mud horn insignia on it. And she's like, I, I killed your hunter. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do about it? So the magistrate sends out, more more guards and they're they're doing they're like doing the going through the alleyways of the buildings and I, I called it the good old what did I, what did I call it? the good old ninja tactic where you know like like how Batman did it in uh, Batman Begins like you know you you run across one opening back around sneak up behind them take them out and uh, let's see. So while she's doing that, Din shows up and kills. Uh, well, all, okay. So also when like uh, brain start brain, please brain, damn it. So when when she comes in, says I've killed your your hunter, then the magistrate's like, all right, kill the kill the three prisoners, and then start going door to door to kill everybody. So while Ahsoka's taking care of the of the guards, Din shows up, takes out the, the two guards that were tasked with killing the prisoners. The old guy comes, runs out of the, out of a building that he's hiding in and helps Din take the, the prisoners down off the, um, off the, the stocks as I'll, I'll call them. And then about this time they're, they're getting closer back to each other. The two assassin droids come out. Uh, I believe Din's one who took care of them. And then Ahsoka goes into what I call the samurai showdown at the Koi Pond, because that's what it looked like. At least it, it looked like like you saw it, didn't you? The what, the fight between Ahsoka and the Baroness? Oh no, like the like the the courtyard where it takes place. It looks like something out of an anime the bridge across the pond and there's fish in the pond. So like I called it the samurai showdown at the Koi pond. Yeah, it's definitely a, it, it was definitely a boss arena. Like, right. Like she walks in <laughs> and you're like, Oh, a boss fight is going to happen. It was, it was definitely that. Um, right. Uh, so, okay. So Beskar, why is Beskar mm-hmm. so important to the Mandalorians? And as far as I know, the reason it's so expensive and why everyone's like, oh, get the Beskar, it's, it's worth its weight in gold and stuff like that, is because it is a material that from, from the fight with Ahsoka and the Baroness can block lightsabers. So is it just, is it like adamantium in Star Wars? I, I think we may uh, have even, I think I may have asked this question already. It, it, it could be. My understanding of it is that it's a, a very rare metal, and it's what the Mandalorians use to make their armor. 
Mm. Obviously, it's it's badass because you know we see Din headbutting people with his helmet. It shrugs off, uh, you know, laser blast like it's nothing. Yeah, it's the laser blast part. I mean, if you had somebody, if you if you have a helmet on and you headbutt somebody who doesn't have a helmet on, it, that person's going to be hurt, and you're not. That's just that's that's what helmets are for. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah um, the fact that it shrugs off also, laser blast, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's the rarity of it. Hmm. I'd have to look into that, but yeah. So, and also come to find out, the woman who plays the magistrate is actually the daughter of Don Inosanto. And if you don't know who Don Inosanto is, he's like a grandmaster of the Filipino martial arts. Hmm. So when when I saw her name come up on the uh, end credits, I was like, Wait a minute. So I, I did a, a wiki search of her, and sure enough, she's the daughter of Don, of uh, Dan, 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 or Don Insanto. Gotcha. Now, um, now, was it just me, or was this this showdown, this boss fight? It seemed very lackluster. Um, it. In all honesty, it felt like a fight that was supposed to make the Baroness an actual threat, because. Even though Ahsoka was kicked out of the order, she wasn't kicked out of the order before she was trained in most of what she needed to know to wield the force. So there were no right. like lightsaber throws. There were no force pushes. Like there were plenty of times. Like like they showed her they they, they tried to make it to where Ahsoka was on even footing or even possibly at a disadvantage to this lady and no like i've like don't get me wrong i don't like ahsoka tano as a character but i've seen the adult ahsoka tano from like the clone wars and from some of the the just the like comic books and stuff on her she's a badass she's like she is a and she is like a master lightsaber wielder there's no one way. Thing, Good. Yeah, one thing that really kind of irritated me, especially after having watched the Clone Wars, uh, Rosario Dawson didn't actually use Ahsoka's preferred lightsaber style until she lost one of her sabers. As and I was like, why? Why is she not fighting like Ahsoka did? And then once she lost her saber. Then she used the the other one in the ice pick, you know, reverse grip. And I was like, there we go. Yeah. Now you're doing it the right way. Now, unfortunately, I don't know enough about Ahsoka Tano to, to think if that is because she doesn't like to because it reminds her of her time under Anakin. Um, I don't really know. But that fight should have been – that fight should have immediately been one-sided. Um. Mm. And the thing they were trying to give us something that had some form of tension, yet the 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 standoff between the like lieutenant of the Baroness and Din had far more tension than what they were trying to put into that fight. <laughs> because I was watching the fight and I'm just like, there are like several times Ahsoka should have already have defeated this chick. And Right. You don't have to worry about lopping off a limb or anything because lightsabers instantly cauterize whatever they cut off. 
So she could have just cut off an arm or a leg and been done with this. And then I also like how when she actually, when she does beat her, they then immediately cut away because it's obvious that they're trying to portray Ahsoka in this sort of heroic light. Um, and I forget why she was kicked out of the order, but I'm pretty sure she was kicked out of the order because she get because there there are one or two times when Ahsoka gives in to the dark side, like completely, <laughs> and she comes back. Like she gave she no it was good. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was uh, she had a like a spy mission she had to do on Coruscant, <clears throat> and even though she uncovered like it was. Someone high up, I think either in Coruscant politics, uh, yeah, someone that actually turned out to be her friend was a was an enemy. Like I think she was, I want to say she was being trained by by a Sith Lord or something. But she uncovered a plot. But because she violated some Jedi tenant, they kicked her out. Okay, so typical Jedi dumb shit. Okay. I, I don't know enough mm-hmm. about Ahsoka to, to, to say anything. Only that she's a more powerful Jedi uh, than they portrayed in this episode. She, um, And I get the feeling they, uh, they scrolled away from her fight so that you don't get to see her literally cracking this lady's mind open to find the information she wants. Um, mm. I will say this, though. Rosario Dawson's portrayal of Ahsoka in this actually made me like the character more. Because, mm. like, I didn't hate Ahsoka, but on a scale of, like, 1 to 10, my like of the character was just 0. I, I It was just <laughs> bleh. Like, she exists. Okay, whatever. Um, but Rosario Dawson kicked it up to maybe, like, a 3 or a 4. So... Mm. Um... And that that's that's more because Rosario Dawson is just a really good actress. Um, I do, and I don't think there's ever been a role I've seen her in that she just didn't do really well. Um, uh, also, hope she's easy on the up. Yeah, I mean, it's Rosario Dawson. The woman is beautiful. Um, <laughs> and uh, but you were you were taking the the uh, show the the show off between um, Lang and. Uh, yeah, I was like, and Lang's like, "Oh, looks like your side won." He starts putting down it. I was like, "Dude, just surrender. Let this not be an act." Because I feel like this is an act, and you're gonna get shot. And then he saw Din like move his hand a little bit further away from his gun, and then he goes for it, and then it's just like boom. And I'm like, "I told you, dude, you're gonna get shot." <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like I don't know why you thought just because he moved his hand two more inches away from his gun, you had a shot there. <laughs> it's like, it's right. So dumb. Uh, I, I put that down in my notes as well. Like uh, Lang feigns surrender but gets shot anyways. And then so um, the information that Ahsoka wanted actually ties uh, back into the books. I believe it was it was the it was the third the third trilogy as it was written in the books. The main antagonist is Grand Grand Admiral Thrawn. 
So I thought that was uh, that was an, an, a nice little little kickback to the the canon that used to be. So yeah, so that the you know, so that ends up they they win the fight. The uh, the old the old Asian dude I guess was the former magistrate, so he gets his magistrate uh, title back. Ahsoka gives Din the spear. And he's like, here, take it. And uh, Din was like, eh, I didn't actually kill you. And Ahsoka's like, well, it is Beskar, so it belongs with the Mandalorian. He's like, all right, I'll take it. Yeah. But then she's like, I can't, I can't train Grogu. And Din's like, bitch, you promised. <laughs> and then she's like, well, you're like a father to him. I can't train him. So what you need to do is go to Tython go to the ancient temple, sit him on the stone and let him decide his path. And I was like, God damn it. Your princess is not in this castle. <laughs> Throwback to, uh, you know, super Mario brothers. It's like, sorry, your princess is not in this castle. You must go, go to the next castle. And then the next, mm. castle, and then the next castle. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. At this point, now that we've already been shown a Jedi, now I want a Sith, and I want a Jedi-Sith battle. I, I want to see Grogu get a little lightsaber, and I want to see him doing some shit. Because so far, he's just been a lazy <laughs> brat eating everything. Yeah, but uh, it, it was interesting, though, how uh, when, when she did the, when Ahsoka did the test with him, you know, force force moving the rock over to Grogu and then she was like, well, now you send it back to me and he just, he was a brat. He just threw the rock down and was pouting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the I reason bet. he didn't throw the rock back, because Ahsoka has been like speaking with Grogu through the force, which is how she figured out his name. Um, so basically mm -hmm. psychically talking to each other, um, skimming each other's minds and of the such. Which still doesn't give us a really good idea of exactly how old Grogu is, because he seems to be old enough to be able to understand what is said to him, meaning he's been a little bastard of a brat this entire time. Every time he <laughs> did the opposite of what he was told, he was just outright disregarding what he was told, because he could fully understand it. So that means he's old enough to understand but he also seems to be young enough that he was traumatized when uh the jedi i think it was i think she said he was he was trained on coruscant right yeah, yeah so when that whole thing went down and since he was constantly told to keep his powers hidden he has restricted he's basically mentally blocked off his own powers which is why he finds it hard to use them um, so that means it, it, it sounds like he's between the ages of maybe like nine and 14, I would say. Well, well, what I remember from the first season when Din actually finds him and he's like, the target's age was supposed to be 50. Like he was supposed to be 50 years old, but then you remember, uh, Yoda in the original trilogy was 900 years old. Well, right. But if he's 
50 years old, you think he'd be far more mentally mature. Like, maybe not like an adult maturity, but I don't know. It, it, it doesn't feel like he's mentally mature enough to be 50. Hmm. But then, you know, this is so like, uh, you know, like how elves, the way they age is different than, than the ways a human ages. Because like elves. Right. Can, but like what? Elrond. Like well, or that's something? true. But elves still mentally mature at the same rate that humans do. So even if an elf at 20 or 25 years old is considered the same age as like, let's say, a six year old to humans. They still have the mental maturity of an adult twenty-year-old. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I agree. Grogu's being a little yeah, shit. So that's that's what I'm like. It literally seems like I don't know. Maybe it's a thing with their alien brain chemistry because they do say in humans you're not fully your brain is not fully matured until you're like twenty-five. So maybe it's something like that. Yeah. Maybe there's something in the way that they are genetically, just the way they are genetically, that means their brain doesn't actually go through uh, maturity levels in the same way human. The maturation yeah. process. Uh, yeah. mm, which once be. again makes you wonder how the hell this species has survived as long as it has. <laughs> Well, so like Lucas and and Lucas films, and and like and unless there's a book that explains what you know how Yoda's species works, like we don't even know what Yoda's species is called. And uh, as of the uh, as of the original trilogy, there was only two of their kind left. It was Yoda and Yaddle, and they were both. Jedi, and I think Yaddle died uh, at some point, or yeah, had to have died at some point, but before uh, died after having Grogu. So, uh, I don't know. I, I know I, for one, would like some damn answers. But, uh, continue. Oh, no, that's, that's all I had to say about that. I mean, I thought it was a pretty good episode, more back to form. We got a good amount of action out of it. Um, uh, I kind of wish they actually would have done more with Ahsoka, but it's not her story. It's Ben, it's Den's. But part of me feels like if all they were going to do with her is have her uh, point in a direction, they could have used anybody. Didn't have to be Ahsoka. It could have been any Jedi. <laughs> like, why Ahsoka specifically? Right. Unless there is something about his meeting with Ahsoka that is important. Otherwise, they could have come up with they could have come up with a brand new Jedi, and no one would have cared. If all you're using them as is a uh, is a uh, compass. compass, yeah. If all you're going to do is use her as a compass, who gives a fuck who the Jedi is that they ran into? Why Ahsoka specifically? Yeah. Because Ahsoka, regardless of how you feel about Ahsoka's character, she is prominently known as Anakin's Padawan, as his apprentice. So 
that is a right. big deal. That's a that's a big deal in the Star Wars universe. She was Darth Vader's apprentice when he was a Jedi. That that has always been a a part of Ahsoka's identity. So why would you use her as just a compass needle? She's not anywhere near the most popular Jedi's, it, like one of the most popular Jedi's or anything like that. Why her specifically? Mm, well, for that we can go back to Episode Three when the uh, when Palpatine initiated Order sixty six and killed basically all but, as far as we know, uh, all but Luke, Yoda, and Ahsoka. As far as we know. And she, yeah, as far as we know. And she even said in the episode that there weren't, there aren't very many Jedi left. But there are some left. Being, yeah, being right. big. So you could have used anyone. Hell, you could have used Yoda. That would have been a much better cameo. I would have loved to have seen Yoda. But I guess... He's dead. I thought he was one of the ones who survived. Is he dead by now? No. Yeah, he's dead. He Remember, he died in uh, Return of the Jedi. And this takes place 30 years oh, after Return of the oh, Jedi. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they could have just... They could have come up with any Jedi. They could have come up with a completely brand new one that got overlooked. Hell, Grogu... Isn't Grogu a completely new thing? And they yeah. threw, and they, and we keep saying how they threw out all the books, all the books, and all the other stuff that was really good about Star Wars. They made non-canon. They could have come up with a completely different Jedi that was canon that somehow survived or got overlooked. Could have been a Padawan at the time that had just finished their training or or whatnot or whatever had happened, and they survived too. It feels weird that it is Ahsoka of 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 all the Jedi they could have probably used or just come up with. It feels weird that it was Ahsoka. It's almost like if they had used yeah. um uh it, it feels like if they had used Darth Maul. Like he didn't got there and it was Darth mm. Maul. And it'd be like, that's weird. Like that's the same kind of reaction I get of seeing Ahsoka there. It's like, why Ahsoka? This either needs to be a major plot point, or there's no reason for it to be Ahsoka. There's no reason for her to have come back. <laughs> so, well, you we also find out in the Clone Wars that Darth Maul survived being cut. Yeah, in I half. know about all that. Like he he was. Yeah, yeah, and I think he even survived up. Up to Star Wars Rebels, but I have well. That's that. why I said it. Uh, well, he survived. Period. That he should actually still be alive, uh, outside of normal time spans. Because I don't know where the current canon year is, but he is just alive. If he hasn't died of old age, he should still be alive. He was never killed. He was almost killed like four different times, but he was never actually killed. So he should still be alive, barring old age. Right. It just goes to show that that uh, good old Star Wars adage, if you don't see the death on screen, they're probably still alive. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so... 
Um, you still you still don't know anything about the last episode, right? Say again. You still don't know anything about the last no, episode. I right? haven't gone. I have not gone oh. ahead. I have no intention of doing so. Good. So you, you said you said you want another Jedi. You said you want a Sith. You want you want a you want a murder fight. You might get one, and it might surprise you. No, I just want a force is. user fight. As long as it's a good force user fight, it doesn't matter because uh, lightsaber battles are just always entertaining to watch. Right. But uh, I'll, I'll be interested to to hear your thoughts after we finish that last uh, episode. Is the next episode <laughs> the last episode? Okay. No. I, I think if what I if what I saw when it brought up the option to continue, I think we're going to see more of those uh, black battle droids in, in this coming episode. Okay. I think. But uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's it for episode. Was it episode five? Yeah, episode five. So thoughts other than what we've already discussed. Eh, no more thoughts other than what we already discussed. I, I, I like the episode. Like I, I may have my uh, my little nitpicks about it or where I thought they went wrong in certain areas. Like the fight between the Baroness and Ahsoka was a sham. Ahsoka should have taken that hands down, no problem. <laughs> She's a fucking j- she did complete enough of her training to not have to have any issues beating this person. Like, it's ridiculous to think Ahsoka would struggle fighting this person. Um, right. We now <laughs> have the name of Baby Yoda. It's Grogu. Um, and it looks like they're setting up to... <sighs> it feels like they're setting up to see whether he is going to become a Jedi or a Sith, but I also feel like he's not even old enough to make that decision yet. He still seems to have an infantile mind. So it's like... Right. Uh, um, but outside of that, no, no. I, I, I like the episode. Thought it was a good episode. Um, uh, we'll have to see when the tracking device in the ship comes into play. I assume in the next episode or two. Um. I really hope they don't plant that tracking device and then completely fucking forget about it. Um, uh, the Gina Carano thing, uh, I bring this up again because there are now rumors that the person who plays Din might be leaving the Mandalorian because they fired Gina Carano. So the third season is up in the air. It is just a rumor right now, but we don't know. Um. Yeah. 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 So we may not get a third season if he goes. Well, fuck this politic bullshit. I'm out. Um. Gina Carano is mm. getting her own movie, and it is Ben Shapiro who is pr- uh, producing it. Uh, he's mm. the one backing it, yeah. uh, along with the Wire that he works for. But he's the one, as far as I can tell, putting up the brunt of the production. Um, and he's letting her. She's starring in it, yeah. and she's help, and she's co- either co-writing or lead writer on it. So, 
and directing. And directing. Yeah. So we'll see how that turns out. I hope good. Gina Carano is a good actress. I like her. I don't know. Like, I've never heard anything about her trying to write scripts. I've never heard about her co-writing anything. I've never heard about her submitting scripts of any kind. So we'll see how this goes. Um, I don't know how much of a budget she's even getting. But a good director can make any amount of money into a good movie. So, well, I won't say any amount of money. But a good director can make a small budget still come out as a good movie. So we'll see. Um, Right. But yeah. Oh, did you – a little bit more in news. Did you hear that now uh, the female – the majority of the female cast from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is now accusing Joss Whedon of misconduct on the sets? Specific. I think I yeah, did hear something about Specifically the that. actress who played Cordelia. Um, and then later in the season, there was uh, the, the actress who played Buffy's little sister came out in support of Cordelia's actress stating that when she was on the show, she was not allowed to be in the same room alone with Joss Whedon, ever. <laughs> and that, that, does me, that does me an irritate because you know how much I like Firefly. Yeah. That's one of his shows. Like that's, that's um, his show. Now, <laughs> what's also weird about this is that all of the male actors have made statements stating that they support Cordelia and that they had no knowledge that any of this was going on. And I'm like, that's odd. Hmm. Yeah, it's like apparently there was a lot of (laughs) harassment and stuff like that going on as far as Cordelia's actress says. And y'all never, nothing, nothing. You you never questioned anything, <laughs> huh? <laughs> so this so mm, I don't know, guys. That's that's sus. Emergency yeah, meeting, something that's is really sus. sus. <laughs> <laughs> like, and the thing is, the actress who played Buffy's little sister makes the statement about never being allowed to be alone with Joss Whedon and I was like you guys never noticed that you never thought it was weird that the 14 year old actress was never allowed to be alone with your director never thought that was odd Mm. (laughs) never came up in an emergency meeting or not (laughs) that's Either y'all know, either y'all knew something, and you just don't want to be a part of whatever the fuck's going on, or you might have been. I don't know. Maybe they were completely oblivious, but I find it weird because the accusations that Cordelia is throwing at Joss Whedon don't sound like accusations that could be that be could be, could be misconstrued as something else, nor as. Well, no, that's not necessarily true because she 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 mostly said it was a lot of browbeating and stuff like that. So I could see people passing it off as, well, that's the way directors in Hollywood are, get thicker skin. But 
if it was predominantly her, I don't know. But I, I, I was uh, I was just thinking about that, and I was like, huh. But we'll we'll see how the rest of that story develops. But yeah, a uh, good show of Mandalorian. I, uh, other than the fight between her and the Baroness, that's the really the only issue I had for it. Uh, past that, um, I can't think of anything else. I don't know. I always found it weird. I, I did find one thing weird. Din was talking to her about helping her with the Baroness, and he was talking about how, well, she's got all these guns, this, she, like, she's got this cow, she's got, like, 50 foot soldiers all with, you know, rapid fire pulse rifles, and she's got cannons, and she's got atomic bombs, and she's got rail guns, and she's got subatomic, it's like, one Jedi can't <laughs> handle all of that, and I was like, wait, if that's the case, why didn't they just shoot her from the top of the wall in the beginning of the episode? Why were they like, why did they have teams of dudes just running through the woods with her picking them off like an assassin? And then she just walks out of the mist, which I was like, what are you doing? And she just walks out of the mist and is like, look, you can give me what I want or I'm going to come up there and take it. And I was like, why aren't you all just shooting her right now? Why, why aren't you all just shooting her right now? <laughs> There's only so many <laughs> laser bolts that she can reflect at a time, which is literally what Din brought up. That's the only other thing in the show. I'm like, what? Why aren't they just shooting her in the face right <sighs> now? <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think, I yeah. think you know why. It begins with a P and ends with lot armor. Aside from that, it was a fine episode. <laughs> mm. Well, let's go on then to Hannibal. And let me tell you, this was a fucked up episode. <laughs> Ooh, it was a fucked up episode, especially, especially after what uh, Hannibal got that that neurologist to do. That was some that was some fucking shady bullshit. Ooh. So, all right. So this one on on this episode, episode ten of Hannibal, the the killer has what's called Cotard syndrome, which means they don't think they're alive and they can't distinguish a person's face. So it starts with this lone girl who lives in a cabin coming home, I guess, from work, goes upstairs, goes to bed, uh, starts hearing dripping. So she gets up, puts her robe back on, walks up into the creepy ass attic, sees that there's a hole in the uh, hole in the roof. And the camera pans over so you see like three footprints before the hole. So she goes, gets some plastic, nails it up, then goes back. When she gets back into the bedroom, she notices watery footprints. So what's the first thing you would have done if you'd noticed watery footprints going up to your bed? Oh, yeah, I was. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, she was she was looking at the uh, at the wet footprints. (laughs) 
<clears throat> and she's following them with the flashlight, and I'm I'm like, bitch, you know they're not yours. What are you doing? <laughs> Fucking find a weapon in the phone and call the goddamn police. What are you doing? This is not a horror movie. What the fuck just- are you doing? You have a brain. <laughs> and then she gets to the bed and just gets pulled under the bed. And I'm like, wait, this isn't a, am I in the right series? Did I click on the wrong series? And I, I, I literally backed <laughs> out and I was like, no, this is Hannibal. And I went back to it and then you just see the blood splatter. And I'm like, okay, I know we had that episode with the guy who was seeing demons and was trying to placate the angels and shit, but I didn't think we were going to actually go into supernatural shit. So it made no sense to me until we found out uh, about her about her illness, about her psychological illness. And then, it, yeah, it, it made absolute sense that, yeah, she grabbed her, mm. pulled her under, and fucking attacked her. Okay. That, that, okay. Okay. Um... <clears throat> But yeah, that was I was like when it when this episode started, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> and and he, and when she got pulled under the mm. bed, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" It either that or scary movie. <sighs> <sighs> well, scary scary movie had a had not yeah, a I know. Uh, pleasant ending for the clown. <laughs> either that or scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i'll go ahead and walk us through it uh and i'll i'll interject when uh, I have well the scene then up. changes over into will on top of the woman with her blood on his hands and he immediately jumps up is disoriented not going not knowing what's going on runs to the door to open it and then we have the forensics team and jack outside looking at him and it is once we get our explanation of it, it is obvious he went into his his dive. I call it like a dive. I, I like I gotta come up with probably a better designation, but it feels like he dives into the perspective of the killers. So after he 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 comes out of it when he sees them, but it's very obvious that this is a dive he went into without knowing he did and got completely lost in it. For for however many seconds he was the killer, and this is what we have. This is what the entire show has been making everyone afraid of. Um, that he would dive and then just come out of it, you know, after he'd already murdered a bunch of people. Um, which which is basically what happened. He contaminated the crime scene. Jack confronts him about it. Um. But he doesn't really have much to say. He, he, he basically tries to uh, wave it off as he has in the past. But he immediately goes to, to Hannibal to talk to him about it. Um, and Hannibal uh, then gets him to go and get an MRI, which is a scan of his brain. Um, and he finds with another doctor, the one doing the MRI that Will does have some form of mental disease. I'm not sure if it was a tumor or just a mental disease. Yeah, and like the entire right side of Will's brain is inflamed. 
which is why he's been hallucinating, which is why he's been right. losing track of time. Uh, there's a point where he has Will sit down and draw a clock for him, and Will gets dr- draws a circle, starts putting in the numbers, mm-hmm. but when he gets to six, he scrunches all the numbers like right up under six. And it's time disassociative disorder, which is one of the symptoms of the, what, encephalitis, you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what it, so Hannibal had him do the exercise of drawing a clock face and using the small hand for the hour and big hand for the minute. So we, we as the audience see Will draw a perfect clock face. And when he gives the, the uh, notebook back to Hannibal, it's a circle. And then like Gerald said, once he gets to six, all the numbers are scrunched towards like the five o'clock area and like everything's off on a, like the hands are all like scrunched in with everything else. And uh, the, the other thing uh, when, when Will comes into this episode, we see him coming back with a fish and he goes to the kitchen table or the, the kitchen counter grabs a knife and starts slicing the fish's stomach open. And we see like a pool, a pool of blood come out. Now I've, I've never scaled and gutted and cleaned a fish before, but I don't think blood comes out. And then that's when he, and the, the, the term you're looking for is called a fugue state when he disassociates. It's called a fugue state. So when he comes out of that fugue state, as Gerald said, he's at the crime scene, like over the, over the corpse, holding the, the gutting. I want to say it's a gutting knife, but I could be wrong. And then he, like Gerald said, you know, runs out, tries to run out the door, and Jack does not look happy. Yeah. Um, so Hannibal and the doctor have like a small conversation where basically, I'm not going to go through verbatim. But basically, he implies that they should keep Will in the dark right. about his symptoms so that they can study him in the wild because uh-huh. uh, there's so little known about uh-huh. mental illnesses. <laughs> this is a chance for them to study it in a live specimen and, al- and see what happens, right? Um, because scientific uh, – yeah. uh, what, was, what was the exact way he said that? Scientific progression has to become more important than uh, uh, than yeah than the patient, patient. I guess yeah than the patient essential <laughs> essentially. Um, so what Will is told is that there's nothing wrong with him, and Will had even said, and Will when he was talking to Hannibal mm-hmm. had even said he knows what his type of crazy is. So it's got to be like a mental disorder or a brain tumor or something. So even he diagnosed – he didn't know what it was, but even he knew there had to be something wrong with his brain. There, there had to be because he knows what kind of crazy he is, and he knows this isn't it, so there must be something else wrong. So he wasn't happy when he found out, oh, nope, you're fine, um, which probably only made things mm. worse mentally for him. Um, and they were uh, – the forensics team was talking about how uh, the lady that was killed, she had skin from when she was scratching at her assault, the person assaulting her, but there was no blood under her fingers. 
So Will came up to the conclusion that maybe there was some kind of atrophy going on with the skin, but for some reason, uh, maybe, and they were, th- they were thinking like maybe it was leprosy or something like that, where it didn't allow blood into the skin. So when it did get scratched, there was no blood to come out. Um, and then later on, he actually runs into the killer, um, which is when he gets his breakthrough in the case. And they find out that she is, uh, uh, I forget, they, they, I know they, he like, they found her DNA, but I forget exactly how. Um, but they used it to, yeah, I don't remember the exact no, way they found her DNA. Because when Will runs into her, he like grabs her arm when she's trying to run away, and the skin on her arm comes off. Yeah. I thought it, it was a glove. I thought it was some kind of latex glove or something that the that she had on her arm, but no, it was her skin. It just came off like it was a glove. Um, and I and the forensics chick that he was with asked him, "Do you, where do you where is it now?" And he was like, "I don't know," because he lost time again, so he didn't know where it was. Um, and there was a right. And then I just, I just want to say when, when he, when he see, like, I thought that was just another hallucination that he went back there. And then like, I thought all that was just another hallucination, but nope, that was the killer. (laughs) And he took her fucking arm skin off. So, yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, so cats me out. They get her DNA and they find her mom through her DNA. And her mom talks about how the doctors did diagnose her with a mental illness, but they had no idea what it was. And her mom's kind of like talking to them and she's like laughing here and there. And I think they ask her a little bit about that. Like, do you find this funny? And she's like, no, I mean, you must think me. And she was like, no, no. It was because they said that she might be dead. And she was, her mom was kind of hoping she was. And they were like, uh-huh. you kind of hope she was dead. And she was like, it may sound like I'm a terrible mother, but I just wanted her not to be in pain anymore. It's like, and I went to all the doctors and I did everything that I could. And like, you see that you, you slowly start to see in the mother that her laughing about it and seeming a little upbeat was her way of protecting herself from the helplessness she felt. Because as she talks about how she went to doctor after doctor, how she couldn't get any answers, how she wrote down every word the doctor said, and she looked them up herself. And all she, the only answer she really found was how little the medical community knows about mental illness and that there was nothing she could do. And that, when it came to mental illness, there was no solution. There was only ways to normalize it as best you could. And she slowly manage it, manage it. Yeah, no, no, no. Manage, it was manage, manage an expert. Managing and as she got to that point, she just, you could see she's trying, she's doing everything she can to keep herself from crying. Um, so that's how they found out who the killer was, but they still didn't know how to locate the killer. Basically, the mental illness that she had gave her a, a, a type of psychosis. So she was just out in the wilderness running around like a, like, like a wildling, basically. Um, but 
there's a point when Will is out in the uh, tree, is out in the forest. And I think this is one of his points where he misses time again. He doesn't know how he got there, but he hears her running around. And so he just yells out, you know, you're alive, you're alive, because that has to do with her mental condition. And then she shows up at his house. And they mm-hmm. do a scene where she's looking in through the window at him. And then the next night, she comes back. Um, and she's under Will's bed, which is weird because Will has like 10 dogs and didn't realize anything was wrong. And the, and, and the dogs were like bearing their, kind of bearing their teeth and barking at her under his bed. And I'm like, why didn't they bark or anything when she came in the house? Like, cause, cause the whole time I was like, cause the whole time you, I got the impression, oh, she might attack Will, but she's got to get through the 10 dogs that sleep right across from him. And it's like, so they just, they just let her come in and, and scoot under his bed. And then what they were like, oh, this bitch has been here too long. She needs to get out. So they started barking at her like, bitch, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. Like, I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if they weren't gonna bark when she came in, they weren't gonna bark later. Yeah. Like, what do you? <laughs> uh, and so Will seem thinking, you know, realizing something is wrong, starts putting his head down toward the bottom of his bed, and I'm like, Will, are you fucking kidding me, dude? You don't know if this bitch is hostile or not, so you're just <laughs> gonna right. put your head down. De- okay. <laughs> like, fuck it. So he does that, sees her, gets scared, <laughs> falls off his bed. Then he makes a connection with her. I'm not going to go through all the rigmarole, but he basically makes a connection with her, calls the cops, and they get her into a hospital. And then Jack is talking to Hannibal, and he's talking to Hannibal about her condition, and it is apparently a treatable condition, and with treatment she can fully recover. And Jack is like, well, do you know if she'll be able to recover her memories? And uh, Hannibal is like, well, I seriously hope that she doesn't. He, and mm. this is a bit, this that one statement is very specific mm-hmm. because they find the other neuro, uh, the neurologist that Will went to see to get the brain scan. He is found dead with his mouth cut open and they think mm-hmm. she did it. Nope, Hannibal did it. And she walked in on him. (laughs) Is it me or is Hannibal getting sloppier and sloppier about this shit as the show goes on? Like, he left the door wide open and everything. She didn't open the door. Uh, She just walked through a wide open. He's in here killing and cutting a person open and just left the door open. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I even put a note down. After, yeah. after, like, my last note was body count stacking up. And, and I guess um, to, to, to use plot armor for ha- in Hannibal's favor, when Will went in for that other cat scan, it was just him and the doctor at the, at the practice. And so when, uh, you know, we, we don't know the, the, uh, the how it happened, we just know that Hannibal did it. You know, it could have been he showed up after Will, uh, you know, was put into the machine 
and the machine runs for like uh, 10, like 10 minutes or something. And he's like, Hey, you know, let's, can we go back to your office? I need to tell you something. Stab, stab, cut, cut. You know, no one's the wiser except for Georgia. So, and he of course killed the doctor in the same way that she killed the lady. So it makes it seem like she did it. So he's hoping she doesn't get her memories back so she can't uh, rat him out, even though from her perspective, she couldn't see his face, but it's possible she might recognize him. So, you know, Um, I think the only other thing. hmm? That shit was creepy, creepy too. Like when they showed Hannibal from her perspective, it was just like. Uh, yeah, uh, an and it was face. on purpose. That, that like was it was absolutely <laughs> on purpose. Like they wanted us not to see her. Not they didn't want us to see Hannibal how she saw him. They wanted us to see Hannibal. I think how they wanted him to be seen by us, right? Because Hannibal always has a mask on, and you never actually mm. see him. And they talked about that, I think, in the last episode or the episode before last, because he's talking to his psychiatrist and she says, I never really talk to you. I only ever talk to uh, a mask or a mannequin that you present as yourself. I think that's specifically tied to that. Um, Right. Yeah, it could be. Um, Could be. But uh, and that was pretty much the episode. Uh, Jack confronted Will, letting Will know that he's his he's his rock. He, like he will always be there. He can always find stability with him because he confronts Will over Will. If you knew this was getting really bad. Why didn't you leave? And he's and Will's like, well, do you want me to leave? And he's like, no. But if you needed to, why didn't you? I think it's because this job gives you a sense of stability. So, but I, you know, let me be like, I'll be that stability. I'm that stability. So when you find yourself wandering off and getting lost, I'm here. Right. Um, which was a good, which was a good scene, which was a good scene. Um, mm-hmm. And that was pretty much the end of the episode. It, it was a good episode, but once again, it really feels like they are, I, it feels like what it's, it feels like that villain who is always portrayed as being very smart, very cautious, always a step ahead. And then slowly over time, for just some odd reason, he makes a shit ton of mistakes that you he shouldn't be making. Yeah, and then that's how he gets caught. But you made him make caught. a bunch of mistakes that he shouldn't have made. <laughs> who, If you're going to kill someone in their office... You don't leave the door to the like the light in the hallway was on, and then he left the door open, and I was like, "You, <laughs> you don't know if anyone else is showing up that night. Was the door in the was the door even into the facility closed and locked, or did you leave that open too? It's like just." Just really dumb mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that he never noticed uh what was it, Tobias, the the violin killer? The the fact that he never noticed he was being followed by Tobias. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to kidnap someone to kill them and harvest their organs mm-hmm. for food and you're gonna take them to a secluded location, 
you must always, always like you, you would always think you'd be paranoid enough to always be looking for anyone who might be following you. Like, or, or maybe that's just me, but I feel like mm, right. it, it just a lot of like really weird mistake. And, and the thing is, it's a lot of weird. It's, it's a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes because in, in all the murders up until that point, he never made a single mistake. Not one. The entire thing with Abigail and Abigail killing the one dude, even though it was in complete self-defense and easily like, yeah, the 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 public in large may not have seen it as self-defense, but he was right there. The easiest way they could have handled that situation is been like, nah, I walked in. And the dude has his hands around her throat and pinned against a wall. And then, yeah, she fucking stabbed him. Anybody would have stabbed him in that situation. He was the dumbass for grabbing her and slamming her up against the wall when she had a knife in her hand. He he screamed, stabbed me. (laughs) So it's just just dumb, really, really dumb. Bad decisions that a person as intelligent as this shouldn't be making. So, um, right. I did still enjoy the episode, but I don't know. Like, there are three seasons of this, and I can't, I, I don't even know if they could course correct at this point. Like it, it just feels like it's not it's not as good as the first three or four episodes. It, and it's mainly because they're trying to set up him getting caught. But they should have just made it, well, this is the shit he did before he got caught and you go to the movies. That's what they should have done. They shouldn't be leading this TV series up to him being caught. I think that's the mistake that they're making. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see something better at the next couple of episodes. But this has been going on for, like, what, the last five episodes where cracks have been showing, where characters are just doing shit they shouldn't be doing? (laughs) Right. Yeah, hopefully. Um... Hopefully uh, they they can uh, pull it back from all this uh, all these cracks. Yeah. Get some spackle and rub that shit all up on the wall. But uh, that's all I got for Hannibal. So is that all we have for Hannibal? I mean, I enjoyed the episode, but it seems like like it seems like every episode now is I don't know. It's just. It feels like there are there's something contrived happening, so that they can, they it, like it's obvious that they're leading up to Hannibal getting caught, or at least it feels like it's obvious to me. Maybe that's not what happens, but it feels like they're they're doing contrived things. So when they go and then Hannibal got caught, you can always go back and see, oh, that he made that mistake, he made that mistake, he made that mistake, he made that mistake. That's why he eventually got caught. But a person as smart as Hannibal shouldn't be making these kinds of mistakes. Like, the clues that they get that allow Hannibal to be caught should be out of the blue uh, epiphany moments, right? 
it should just it should be seemingly it should be things that are seemingly meaningless that they notice and then as time goes by they get to that moment where an epiphany happens and they just go oh it's fucking hannibal not he left the door open and the girl saw him and now with her treatment she remembers somebody of this stature and weight at the office where the one dude was killed or what was another one? Um, oh, or when he got into his fight with Tobias and he killed the one dude. Like, or with Abigail and it being like, oh, well, that explains the whole Abigail thing. And then uh, just, uh, <laughs> I feel like it's contrived at this point. Oh. All right. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we'll put our sponsor break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the nastiest food yep. people eat. Right. So uh, for those of you oh. with low constitution scores, roll high. Oh. All right, welcome back, everybody. So, as usual, I've pulled up a two, three, four articles uh, covering disgusting food. Gerald's got his list. So, let's see. Let me look at this one. So, th this this is this first one I have on my list is cheese so gross it's been outlawed. It's called Casu oh. Marzu. Hmm? Yep, that was one of the ones on my list, too. That shit list looks nasty. It is. It, it's a why moment. It's a why <laughs> would you do this? It, it's not even... A lot of these are, oh, because that's what they had available to eat at the time. but Or it's a rare delicacy or it's some kind of spiritual thing. But this thing has no reason to exist. <laughs> it really doesn't. It is literally why would you do this? Yeah, um, it's, it's nicknamed maggot cheese because if you right. open it up, that's what it looks like. And that's, that's fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So it's like, like David said, it's known as maggot cheese. This is a traditional Sardinian dish uh, in sheep's milk cheese, famous for containing live insect larva. Uh, apparently, these wiggling little maggots are supposed to enhance the flavor but are prone to jump when they panic. So watch your eyes. Some people suffocate them or kill the beasties in the fridge before consuming, but others go for the live version. Sometimes, Now, the reason it is outlawed is because the Eastern European Food Safety Authority ban this because if you eat them with the maggots still alive in the cheese the maggots can survive the, your stomach acid and they burrow into you and start eating through your intestines this thing has no reason to exist <laughs> yeah that, that that's fucking gross <laughs> and this is and so this is how they prepare it 
It's sheep's milk that is heated. Then it is given about three weeks to sit so that it can curdle. Next, the crust is cut off. This makes it inviting for flies to enter who then lay their eggs. Afterwards, the cheese is left in a dark hut for two or three months. During that time, the eggs hatch into larvae and promptly begin to eat the now rotting cheese. The excretions that pass through their bodies are essential as they are what gives the cheese its distinct soft texture and rich flavor. The best comparison that can be made is the taste of a very ripe gorgonzola cheese. Though... What you're actually tasting is larva excrement. There's no reason for this to exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the next one. Well, hold on, hold on. Um, now, this has been outlawed by the European Food Safety Authority. You okay? Still. I uh, was talking to talking to Christy. She just came through the door. Uh, um, but so the only way you could get this dish, if you even wanted to try it, would be on the black market. Um, also, if you're going to go for the authentic live maggot version, you have to be really careful. Uh, it is said that you should eat it with your eyes closed because the maggots, when disturbed, jump and they can jump up to six inches i would also be worried about them getting anywhere on your skin because then they because if a maggot lands if a maggot is in your hand or lands on you in any way it'll just start eating into you it's what they do that's why maggots are nasty and no one likes them um yeah this this and this is italy this is an italian thing that they came up with Oh. Um, so we're going to take another we're going to take another quick break and I'll be back oh, okay hold tight alright welcome back so yeah maggot cheese not my thing what you got shouldn't be anyone's thing uh, haggis from Scotland a uh. sheep's heart yeah, and you've probably actually seen this. Uh, the Scots will have like a big sort of uh, Olympic Games day, and haggis mm. is like Island always games. on sale. Yeah. Yeah, the Highland Games, yeah. where people hurl logs, mm. <laughs> and they go out in their kilts and with their bagpipes and everything. It's a big like Scottish holiday. I forget the exact name of it. The um, Highland Games. Oh, is the Highland? Okay, it's the Highland Games. Okay, uh, haggis is a sheep's heart, liver, and lungs minced and mixed with onions, oatmeal, suet, and seasoned with salt and spices, cooked inside of the animal's stomach. Uh, though haggis is primarily thought of as a Scottish dish, its recipe has been recorded as early as 1430 C in English records and often was served with turnips and potatoes. 
Uh, Clarissa Dickinson Wright wrote in her book, The Haggis, A Little History, that haggis was invented as a way of cooking quick spoiling offal near the site of a hunt without the need to carry along an additional cooking vessel. The liver and kidneys could be grilled directly over a fire, but this treatment was unsuitable for the stomach, intestines, or lungs. Chopping up the lungs and stuffing the stomach with them and whatever uh, fillers might have been on hand, then boiling the assembly, probably in a vessel made from the animal's hide, was one way to make sure these parts were not wasted. Haggis is traditionally served as part of the burn supper on or near January 25th, the birthday of Scotland's national poet, Robert Burns. Burns wrote the poem addressed to a haggis, which starts fair far your honest sonsy face, great chieftain of the pudding race. <laughs> In Burns' lifetime, haggis was a common dish of the poor as it was nourishing yet very cheap, being made from leftover parts of sheep otherwise discarded. So even though this is like one of the world's uh, most, what is the word, repelling no. dishes, it actually doesn't sound too bad. I'd actually, I've always wanted to try haggis. Mm. Mm. I can honestly understand why other people would not. I've always wanted to try it, but I can absolutely understand why other people would not. Um, and it was a food that was eaten by the poor, uh, like during a time when it was highly nutritional and was very cheap. So it was a primary food of the poor. So yeah, like when things get tough, you end up eating things you didn't think you'd eat. So that's understandable. Um, there's also vegetarian haggis. Mm. Um, and in 1971, it became illegal to import haggis into the U.S. from the U.K. due to a lung would remain in force so you can't actually get haggis imported into america so if you want it you have to go to scotland or at least outside of america for it which sucks um mm. well i mean if you think about it you go to scotland you can eat some haggis and fall in love with the red-headed scottish last yeah truth uh, you could also just make it yourself. The recipe is readily available, and all of the parts are here in America. You could literally just make it yourself. Indeed. Mm. Eh. I'm of Scottish descent. Uh, I don't know. I, I might try it, maybe. Eh. I, I don't normally like sausage either, but that's just me. So uh, this one I heard about on, uh, I think it was last week's Is We Dumb podcast. It is a fairly common and unassuming street food available in both the Philippines and Vietnam. It's called ballot or balut, and it is uh, a fetal 
soft boiled fetal duck. Mm. Um, I'm going to say a hard pass on that. <laughs> Personally, hard pass. Um, so uh, most of uh, the ballot. Uh, fertilized duck eggs incubated or allowed to grow in vitro for a certain length of time, usually few weeks, a few weeks, peel back the shell. And along with a typical soft boiled eggy interior is also the small inert body of a fetal duck, small bones, feathers, beak and all, and some more, some more developed than others. Most accounts suggest slurping it right from the shell with a pinch of salt. Mm. You know, um, it is a little not is a little it makes me a little nauseous how many of these dishes require how a lot of these foods require you to slurp them like ugh. <laughs> right and a lot of these foods are acquired tastes and as i said before if it's an acquired taste you shouldn't be tasting it mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but uh Dan Cummins, the one of the hosts of the podcast, said he, he tried it when he was over in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Said it was disgusting. Well, I would assume so. <laughs> I, I would heartingly hard, agree with him and as I said, hard pass. Uh, hmm. So uh second on my list. Tripe, which is tried all over the world. Tripe is the stomach lining of various animals with a sponge-like honeycomb texture. Looks like some weird kind of sea plant life and has a peculiar and not entirely appetizing rubbery texture. Served up with various sauces to add flavor or simply with an accompanied li- uh, accompaniment like onions. Although tripe can be gotten from sheep, goat, or even pig, the most common source is the cow, of which the only first three of the four stomachs are used. Of these, the reticulum, or honeycomb tripe, is the most preferred. Uh, Oh, did I do that? Now, tripe, the more I read about it, sounded more and more and more like chitlins, which is the intestines of pig, which is pig intestines, um, which is also one that I'm going to throw on the list because it because when you it's 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 basically cooked pig intestines is what chitlins is and uh, I don't know if you've ever smelled chitlins um, but it's it literally smells like burning shit it is disgusting mm. smelling um, and I can imagine my own family actually likes to eat it. I can't like I the first time I smelled it, I was like, I'm not eating that. And they were like, come on, at least try it. And I was like, I am not eating that. <laughs> that does not smell like food. That smells like the stuff you throw at you throw in the garbage after food has been made. <laughs> no. So and un- <laughs> to this day, I have never eaten it because it smells like garbage. <laughs> um, uh, I can't say I blame you. So yeah, 
so that is tripe. I had some. Well, I guess that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Hmm, not very weird. But yes, that is tripe. That was the, and that's pretty much all it is. Oh, um, so coincidentally enough, number nine on this list could be the reason why we have a certain pandemic going on. Or not. No. Depends on Bushmeat. who you believe or uh, bat-based. So, Hmm. um, first, net a bunch of flying mouse, fruit, or fox bats in a remote village. Drop live into a pot of boiling water or milk. Roast to desired doneness. Chop and make into paste with Thai herbs and spices. Or when you have an abundance of fruit bats, try this optional fruit bat soup recipe. Bats are a part of the native cuisine in Thailand, China, Guam, and others, but they are considered notorious disease carriers. Yeah. Um, again, I'm going to say hard pass on that. Mm-hmm. But there, uh, when when the whole coronavirus thing first started, it among the rumors of of how was. Uh, someone ate bat soup in Wuhan, and that's how it trans- transferred from bat to human. And, uh, yeah, no thank you. Um, I, think, I think the most... Uh, well, okay, so I've had bison. I think I've eaten camel. I'm not sure. I think that's about as adventurous as I'm going to get when it comes to food. But should you that's eat just, camel, though? Well, they, they said it was steak. We were in Kuwait. Um, oh, did they trick you? <laughs> well, it, it could have been regular beef, but the, we always jokingly called it camel steak. And honestly, it didn't taste like, like steak that, that I know. So take that as you will. So, yeah. What you got next? Uh, Next on the list is tuna eyeballs, a delicacy of Japan. Although it sounds nasty, apparently it's rather tame, tasting pretty similar to squid or octopus. Cooked, fried, stewed, or lightly steamed. The strange thing is that this is not a dish born in ancient times, as one would think, nor in times of poverty in which everyone becomes, everything becomes food. The tuna eyes have started to become a sought-after dish in the early 90s. Previously, they were thrown away as the, uh, as the rest of the world would. Their success is due to the fact that they seem to contain a high concentration of decoxahexanoic acid, DHA. I'm not pronouncing that right. It's docosahexanoic, D-O-C-O-S-A-H-E-X-A-E-N-O-I-C, but DHA. DHA, or in other words, omega-3 fatty acids. In the 90s, Japan media Mm. said that according to experiments carried out on animals, the DHA would increase the cognitive abilities of the mice. 
The conviction that eating tuna eye, you will be more intelligent, spread the daily use of this strange ingredient. As we all know, omega-3 is truly good for the brain, and it is found in many other dishes and in almost all the fishes. Tuna eyes are served in various places around Japan and East Asia. There are many preparations for this dish. Most widely, it is boiled in water and seasoned to taste with soy sauce, sugar, mirin, a rice wine. The flavor is similar to a hard-boiled egg seasoned to taste. Um, also, I saw a picture of these things. They're literally like the size of plates. Because the tuna that they cut them out of are like those huge fucking tunas. Yeah. So the eyes yeah. themselves are the small are the size of small plates. I was like, holy shit. I thought they'd be like grape sized, right? Like a normal fish's eye. You just pop them. But no, this thing is like a full meal. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I was uh I was surprised to find out that tuna are actually huge fucking fish. And they're they're mean bastards too. I think isn't it like a specific kind of tuna that gets that big though? Maybe we'll have to do a topic on that because I thought it was a specific not because not all tuna is that big. I think it's like supposed to be a specific well, kind of tuna that gets that big. Well, there's there's bluefin. I know of bluefin tuna. And hell, Christy and I have gone to at least two aquariums, and I've and like like that's when I saw an actual tuna fish you know not minced up and put in a, to a tiny can mm-hmm. i was like holy shit that thing's fucking huge yeah oh well maybe i'm wrong then maybe they're all that size i could have sworn that they were uh, small ones or maybe those were the babies hmm. could be um so how would you like some mongolian boo dog i first let's start with the fact that the name doesn't sound inviting <laughs> so, um, the nomads in Outer Mongolia found a ingenious way to cook a whole goat from the inside out. So, after you've hung it upside down, bled it, broke its legs, they stuff it, they stuff every cavity imaginable with hot, smooth stones, blowtorch it until, it's, until the desired doneness or roast it over a fire. And that's your Mongolian boo dog. The, the picture of this is, uh, is interesting. So they turn it, they sit, they, no, they don't turn it. They cook it from the inside out. So they, they skin it. They just stuff hot, hot rocks in it and then let it sit there over a fire and then just cook it. And then I guess they cut it open and then eat the goat meat from, you know, just slice off strips of it and then eat it that way mm. as someone who's tried lamb and didn't really care for it once again hard pass mm. <laughs> i don't think i've ever actually had lamb yet i keep tr- i'm gonna have to i yeah i need to actually sit down and get some and actually make it and see how i like it because i have not had lamb yet it's a it's a gamey any any of that of that like lamb deer anything like that they say has a gamey taste and uh yeah it's not it's not like the deliciousness taste the delicious taste of beef it's it's definitely different hmm. okay 
know. Well, I mean, like you hear such you, you hear a lot of praise for like Lamb. So, well, yeah, I, I don't doubt it. But you know, uh, as you as you had said, for some it might be an acquired taste. Mm. Yeah, I don't feel like acquiring that. Right. <laughs> If I have to acquire the taste, then it's best just to leave it alone. <laughs> if it's not just good. <laughs> right. All right. So what do you have okay. next? I'm switching to another list. Uh, so black pudding slash blood sausage, uh, apparently primarily from Africa, the Americas, Asia, and Europe. So well, no, no, no. That's not all around the world. That is very. That's actually very specific areas because Canada don't do that shit. Neither does South America, apparently. Um, pretty widely available. Still, there are a large number of people who find the idea revolting and silly. People they these these are from articles because yeah, uh, it is congealed blood cooked up with various natural flavorings, thickening agents like suet and breadcrumbs, and stuffed into a sausage skin. It is a food traditionally for the wealthy and made not to waste anything of the cow, sheep, or goat it was drained from. Congealed and thickened with oats or barley to distinguish it from blood sausage. Blood sausage differs in that it is a sausage filled with blood that is cooked or dried and mixed with a filler until it is thick enough to solidify when cooled. Pig, cow, horse, donkey, sheep, duck, and goat blood can be used but varies by country so it is either a sausage skin that is just filled with blood that is then cooked till it congeals into a solid or it is a uh it's just congealed thickened blood mixed with oats and stuff so think like just blood oatmeal it's, it's oatmeal where all of the liquid parts is blood <laughs> I rem I, I had mm. I had thought blood sausage had blood, but it also had the sausage. Like I thought, it, I thought it was like you know they put blood in it, but then they still like put the mix it in with meat. But if it's just congealed hardened blood, well, it says it's again hard. Well, yeah, it says it's cooked and dried <laughs> and mixed with a filler. So I assume they put other stuff in it, like yeah. onions and things like that. Um, but for the most part, it is mostly, yeah, just the congealed blood. I remember a time when I heard about blood sausage, and I was like, huh, I'd like to give that a try. I kind of still would. Mm. It doesn't necessarily sound like – it sounds it, it sounds gross, but it doesn't sound bad. It's not like fucking maggot cheese, right? Where, no, no part mm. of that sounds like it should be consumed by a person. <laughs> like this right. just sounds like this sounds gross but it doesn't sound like it would be bad so I'd actually like to try it just to see what I would think Um, even tuna eyeballs it sounds gross but it doesn't sound like it would be bad so I don't know uh, mm, all right so here's one for you. It comes from Iceland. Um, okay. Hakarl. So, 
Icelandic. Yeah, yeah, it's the one. it was oh. the next one on my list too. So go ahead. <laughs> this thing should uh, also so... not exist, but at least it has a better reason for existing <laughs> than maggot cheese. Like this has a better reason for existing than right. maggot cheese, but it also should have literally it. Sh- this should have been phased out a long time ago. <laughs> mm. So this is a decomposed shark carcass that tastes like strong cheese and smells like urine. Was invented by the Vikings in a time when they had to conserve as much food as possible. They developed a preservation technique that is still used today. So the Greenland shark is very toxic to humans, so they would have to bury it underneath rocks and sand, which presses away the poisonous fluids, the uric acid, the trimethyl trimethylamine. Did you stop popping ads of son of god damn it? I told you to stop. Trimethylamine oxide. The flesh is left to ferment from six to twelve weeks, then is dug up and hung to dry for several months. The first in- encounter with Hakarl is full-on assault to the nostrils from a putrid smell, so bold terrorists that dare to sample it are advised to hold their breath and try not to gag at the taste of one of the most rancid things on Earth. And it shows a picture of these uh, shark carcasses. And it looks like they're being smoked or something, or maybe that's just the, the decomposition. Um, but yeah, uh, again, hard pass. So, do you know why it smells like it does and why it's toxic to humans? Well, it says that that the the shark itself is toxic because of the poisonous fluids, the uric acid, and the trimethylamine oxide. Okay, so this this is what's going on, though. So, because this shark lives in such sub-zero temperatures, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't excrete its excrement and stuff through an orifice like other things does instead it does it through its through its skin throughout its entire body and what it does that because like all of its urine and stuff it excretes through its skin and it does that because that acts as an antifreeze so that it can fight off the cold yeah that's why it's poisonous to eat the way it is. So what they do is they take yeah. the shark and they bury it so that all of the uh, all of the uric acid in its skin can leach out into the ground. But then when they right. dig it up out of the ground, they hang it up and just let it dry for like six months to a year. And it ju- and and in that time right. it decays. And it forms this brown crust that when they're ready to eat it, they have to scrape off. Even the process is disgusting. (laughs) Just everything about this is just terrible. Um, And the natives, and if, if you go to like Iceland, the natives tried to feed it to you as a challenge. Because even after all the preparation, it smells terrible. They don't eat it indoors because it smells horrible. Mm. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) 
yeah. Once again, yeah. hard pass. Oh, and uh, <laughs> a part of the process is that when they're they're buried in sand gravel, and then they take stones and they put it on top of them, and the stones act as a press. So basically, that squeezes all the uric acid out of it over time. So yeah, it's just. So, so you saying that the, the shark excretes its, its urine as an antifreeze, I wonder if you could use that in a pinch if you run out of coolant in your radiator. I doubt it. I'm sure I'm sure Bear, I'm sure Bear Grylls would approve. <laughs> I mean, an experiment is always, I mean, you can always experiment with it, but I, I, I doubt it. I don't know. Is urine an ant? Like, have people been found, like, out and exposed, like, because people die on like mountains all the time, right? They go climbing up in a mountain and they something happens and they freeze to death in the cold. Are their bladders normally found perfectly fine? Like, these are the burning <laughs> questions we must know. Like, I didn't know that a, a high enough urine content could be used as an antifreeze. That's yeah, weird. And I still don't understand how that actually works in the shark. Because just because your skin can't freeze doesn't mean your internal organs and stuff wouldn't freeze. So does because its skin has such high uric content, does that just block cold, period? Mm. Once again, <laughs> the burning question. We need to uh, so, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, I, I just that was just one of those crazy. I wonder if if that would be like a Bear Grylls approved survival thing, since he likes to drink his own piss so much. It's like if if you if your antifreeze is low, and it's like blizzarding. Like you know, motherfucker outside. Can you can you piss in your radiator, and then that'll that'll uh, you know make it so uh, <laughs> so you you can keep going after you piss in it. I mean, you can put water in your radiator. So I mean, I figure, eh, I suppose. But you also can't leave water because it evaporates over time. So eh. yeah, I guess that's right, if you want to yeah. go looking for the thing in a pinch. In a pinch, piss will help. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, one of the uh, how Hakarl kind of got uh, started is that uh, some sailor or somebody uh, was on a beach and found one of the sharks up on the beach and it had decayed over time. And apparently, he was like, eh, I'm starving anyway, and like tasted it and found that. It, like the sharks had always been there and you couldn't eat the sharks, but he tasted it after it had like decayed for a while and found that it was edible and not too bad to the taste. That's like an old, I don't know if it's an old wives tale, but that's like part of the tale as to why that happened, how this even came about. Mm, even yeah. harder hard pass. Yeah. Fuck all that noise. <laughs> All right, what you got next? Uh, my since uh, can't do a Carl, so surströming, which is sour herring from Sweden, uh, Baltic sea herring fermented with just enough salt used to prevent it from rotting. 
mainly found tinned and brine these days. When opened, it releases such a pungent aroma that it usually needs to be eaten outside as well. Uh, the smell is often described as rotting eggs in an open sewage drain. It's most commonly eaten at outdoor and balcony parties. There are many theories as to how surströming became part of Sweden's culinary culture. The most colorful story traces its roots back to Swedish sailors in the 16th century. The sailors were running low on salt, which was commonly used to, prefer to preserve food, and their barrels of herring began to go bad. They sold the rotten fish to some locals at a Finnish port, but a year later, when the sailors returned, the Finns requested more rotten herring because they had enjoyed it so much. Ugh. This prompted the Swedish sailors to try it themselves and produce more of the fish. Um, it is banned on planes due to its highly pressurized can. This is because preparation involves the herring being caught during spawning in spring, put in barrels to ferment for about two months before being transferred to 10 cans to continue the fermentation. About six months to a year later, the cans begin to bulge from all the gases and are shipped to local supermarkets. Once opened, the fermented whole herring are deboned, their swollen pink innards pulled out, and their putrid flesh cut into small slivers. Once you can get past its foul odor, you will be met with a salty, fishy taste that is not quite as bad as it smells. The slivers of fish are loaded onto tune broad, lightly buttered, crispy, thin bread, and then topped with yellow onions. Dill's mandipultis, which is sliced boiled almond potatoes, and a fatty fermented milk similar to sour cream called gradil, uh, gradfil. These condiments help tone down the fish's strong taste and make it more palatable. Cold milk is usually consumed alongside surströming, probably because its mild taste balances the fish's strong, salty taste. At parties, Pilsner's beers, schnapps, vodka, and aquavit, a 40% distilled alcoholic beverage made from potatoes or grain, are often served as well. A museum was even dedicated to this fish. Uh, it's the Fiskevestis Sostromis Muset. I know I butchered that. Is located thirty. <laughs> yes, thank you. Is located thirty kilometers north of the town of Ornskodolsvik, along Sweden's high coast in the small fishing village of Skepsmain. The museum has a permanent exhibition where visitors can learn more about the history and preparation of the fish, get a whiff of the smell from its sniffing box. Why? Why would you do that? Learn how herring communicate with each other, admire a display of various antique cans of the fish, and listen to some Swedish drinking songs that are often sung while consuming surströmming. So it's just fermented fish. Um, from what from everything else that I read, it sounds like they are akin to a big brother of sardines on pizza. It's kind of like that. It's like a super strong sardine. <laughs> and uh, another thing I, I've not eaten. And, I've uh, tried not... sardines. <laughs> I thought they were okay. I couldn't eat them and I haven't eaten them since the first time I tried them. Uh, I was like I want to say 14 and I was over at my brother's girlfriend's house and her family was all over there and we were all hanging out and they ordered pizza and 
I had been for the longest time wanting to try sardines. So they ordered half of a pizza with sardines on it so I could try it. And I bit into it and was just like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> it's like sardines are so salty. And like if you if you know what like a fish flavor is like there's fish you eat, but it doesn't taste like fish. Right. Like and, and I don't, the, the only way I can describe what I mean by fish that don't taste like fish is like when you're eating um, uh, sushi. So if you eat sushi, they give you um, uh, what is it called? Uh, I don't use it very often. Not wasabi. wasabi. It's the other thing. Ginger. They give you ginger so you can clean your palate. Because if you eat a lot of sushi in a row, the fish taste builds up and it creates this oily fish taste that's like pure fish. Like there's nothing else. It's like this pure oil fish taste that you get. And that's what it was like. It was like eating that pure uh, oily fish taste. But at the same time, it was salty as hell. So I was just like, nope, I can't do it. I, I like I tried. No, I can't. I can't. So I ended up <laughs> picking all of the sardines off of the pizza, and I think I was able to eat it that way. Um, but I couldn't eat the actual sardines. It was just too much. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I've had sushi. I've had tuna sushi, and it's not bad. I would eat it again as long as it doesn't have extra wasabi nastiness on it. I, I do not like wasabi. That shit is, it, it's horseradish, but it's Japanese horseradish. And it's, it's ch like, it's a chalky, super, super spicy kind of taste to it. Uh, not for me. But yeah. Uh, just a second here, and I'll pull up the next one. I'll hold myself in so I don't get killed. So this one, um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you it comes from China. So get ready for this. Virgin boy eggs. Mm. Are you rolling your eyes yet? <laughs> I don't even know what the virgin virgin boy eggs. Yeah, it, it's not. Well, no, not uh, well, I would assume like. it's not, so, or there would be some, you know, humane, <laughs> like, like there'd be a humane thing, a humane like, question going on. But it's just the fact that it's called virgin boy eggs. Like, uh, okay. Yes, or ethically sourced, humanely, you know, all that fair, fair trade, gluten free, ethically sourced. No, it's it's eggs, but the key ingredient is urine from a ch a boy ten years or younger. So buckets of boys' urine are collected, right? <laughs> get get on with it. I have no comments for this. I just want to get through this one as quickly as we can because. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Just continue. So, so buckets of boy urine are collected from primary school toilets in the area, and the whole process of first raw eggs are soaked and boiled in the urine before the shells are cracked and left to simmer for a few more hours. 
You can buy them from street vendors, but locals make them on their home too. According to the tradition, this unusual method of cooking eggs has some health benefits like promoting better blood circulation, preventing heat stroke, and invigorating one's body. China. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Just. <laughs> uh. Like, okay. We've gone over some pretty gross shit already, and there's more to come. I don't think there's anything on my list or that I have read that goes as far as we collect the pee of a 10-year-old boys and soak eggs in them to eat. Though, no, there is one. There's the lip biscuit. There's that. That's the only thing that even comes close to this. Okay, um, I'm going to have to have you do that one next. You don't know what a lip biscuit is? That's not even on my list. I thought everyone knew what that was. Oh, okay. I know it's a band. An actual lip biscuit. And I, I hope I'm remembering this correctly because this, this is what I was told. An actual lip biscuit is a, 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 a ring of men around a biscuit jerk off onto the biscuit. And whoever... Uh, whoever uh, goes, whoever comes first has to eat the biscuit after everyone else has. That's what apparently that's supposed to be. Hard and pass. I'm just like, it, <laughs> I guess it's less Hard of a food that is served. It's more of one of, it, it's more like a Russian roulette. It's a stupid game that uh, that people would play. Yeah, it's it's like a stupid hazing thing, I guess. But so it's less of an actual dish. But that's what this whole virgin boy eggs bullshit sounds like too. It's just, just as there's no reason for this to exist, except for some disgusting rich fucks (laughs) were like, "Hey, let's let's eat some eggs soaked in some boy pee." Because apparently once you get to a certain point in life to where you can remove yourself from the everyday rigmarole, you start just going out of your way to find the dumbest, most outlandish shit you can to do. Like, this, this, uh, why? (laughs) (laughs) But why, though? Yeah. Okay, so we won't count Limp Biscuit. Uh, so go ahead with your with your next one because the one I've pulled up is uh, going to be okay. another. Hard uh, pass next on my me. list is the Century Egg, also called the One Hundred Year Old Egg, also called the Thousand Year Old Egg from China. Uh, it's neither a century nor a millennium <laughs> old, but this egg is pretty rotten. After being preserved in a mixture of clay, ash, and quicklime for a few months, the yolk turns a dark green or even black and slimy while the white has turned to a dark brown translucent jelly. Apparently, it smells of strongly of sulfur and ammonia, but tastes like a hard-boiled egg. It is said that a farmer found a naturally preserved duck's egg in a muddy pool of water and slaked lime. 
After surviving a tasting, he set out to replicate them manually, resulting in a delicacy that would endure for centuries as a comfort food in Hong Kong, China, and parts of Southeast Asia. Though its origin is undocumented, scientists estimate it dating back 500 years to the Ming Dynasty, since the process of making the egg has has changed very little. To make the eggs, a vat is typically filled with a combination of strong black tea, lime, salt, and freshly burned wood ash, and is left to cool overnight. The next day, duck, quail, or chicken eggs are added to the mixture, and they soak anywhere from seven weeks to five months. Considered to taste surprisingly velvety and succulent, and when eaten with ginger, it gains a spiciness. The eggs are also baked into pastries, Opened in 1921 as a dim sum restaurant, Hang Hyung has garnered a following for their version of the eggs wrapped in a golden brown crust. The relatively simple recipe using a century egg, pickled ginger, puff pastry dough, and bean paste. The result is a crispy and buttery pastry shell with a soft, flavorful egg inside. The most critical part of the process is choosing the right egg, one that's not too hard or too soft. Um... Now, this one sounds really gross. I will say that this one sounds really gross, but when you take into account that there's a restaurant that makes ones into pastry, it doesn't sound bad, but I'm with you hard pass on this one. No, no. That that doesn't sound like food. <laughs> I first heard about these mm. when I was stationed in Korea. You and your friends ever go down to try one? <laughs> no, uh, and and also, also as just a, a bonus for that, uh, if if you ever go to to Korea, there are two types of there are two types of meat. One I suggest you eat; the other I suggest you don't. The one called bulgogi, yes, eat that. That's beef. The one called kagogi, do not eat that. That is dog. Yeah, but I'm an equal opportunity carnivore. And there were I mean, if it tastes good, I don't... (laughs) Like, if it tastes good, as long as it's not another human being, I'm pretty much game. So, what if if you went to China and they put down a bowl of of steaming... What is it? Would you eat that? Yeah, no. Bowl come? I, so, okay, so maybe I need to be more specific. <laughs> if it sounds like it could be food, because the only reason dogs and cats aren't food is because we made them in the pets, and so we love them, right? But otherwise, they'd be food just like anything else. I mean, hell, we eat tigers, for goodness sakes. Um, we eat alligators. We eat t- we've tried just about everything, and before dogs and cats became our best friends, we used to eat them, too. Because food is food. Yeah, like, well, I say used to because the majority (laughs) of the world does not. Because they're they're lovable, though. It's like, even though a cat would literally eat you if it could. Because they're just small tigers. They would literally eat you if they could. Not, I'm not saying every cat is just waiting for you to fall asleep so they can murder you. I'm just saying, like, if they got stuck in the house with your dead body, they'd probably eat you. (laughs) Um... Yeah, uh, they would. A, a dog will, will wait until it's hungry, but a cat, I'm hungry. 
um, I'm having yeah, pretty much. Uh, um, so if I go to a place <laughs> that's like, oh yeah, we serve dog and cat. If it tastes good, I'm not gonna be like, I can't believe you do this. It's like, no. The only reason they are literally not a universal menu item is because you <laughs> think it's cute. That's it. And believe me, I love dogs. Like I've had dogs. I love dogs, and I could never think to eat one that I own. But if I go to another country and they serve me a, a plate and they're like, oh, and I eat it and it's good. And they're like, oh, it's dog. I'm like, that ain't right. And then I go back to finish my plate. <laughs> I mean, it's not my dog. <laughs> I can just imagine dogs everywhere. If they, if they heard this, they'd... <laughs> to be okay, so to be fair, All right, so <laughs> anyone who is offended by the fact that a person would eat a dog should also be offended by the the way we have bred so many dogs into just unrecognizable balls of pain in their later years. Like humans have done some really terrible breeding of dogs. So if you're gonna be mad of dogs and cats. So you need to be mad about that shit, too. But half the time, most people who get offended by the eating of dogs and cats don't care that some of them are bred into just the worst possible genetic conditions that could be because they still are allowed to have their little frou-frou dogs. (laughs) So, yeah. Mm. That's a topic we could we could discuss as well because like like specifically bulldogs, you know, as cute as they are, they're squished up puzzles. And I know some dogs once they get to a certain age constantly suffer from like joint pain and stuff like that. Uh, I believe uh, uh, not Dalmatians. What are the really fluffy uh, the really fluffy curly dogs? No, 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 no. The oh, other ones. Pomeranians? You usually see, they. rich people <clears throat> usually have them. They look like giant curled puffs. They're usually white or black. They're not doubt. They're, they're fairly, they're, they're like normal big. dog size. They're not Dalmatians. They're the other one. Well, there's Charpays. Um... Here, let me see if I can... <clears throat> Uh, well, go ahead sure. with yours, and I'll see if I can okay, find what, it. What you're doing, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh... Poodles. That's what, poodles. If you ever go to Namibia... Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, there's something genetically poodles? wrong with them, too. I yeah. could be mistaken, but I remember someone telling me that there's something actually genetically <laughs> wrong with them. Hmm. Could be. So uh, even Anthony Bourdain himself said this was the worst meal of my life. So if you ever go to Namibia and you're feeling froggy, <coughs> order yourself some uh, warthog <laughs> anus. What? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Uh, so let's see. Okay, not that you're into the detailed recipe, but to cook 
the warthog anus, you have to pull it with at least one foot of intestine attached, squeeze the feces out, and then throw it in the open fire. Don't mind the, the ash and dirt. It's part of the process. This is one food you would like to be well cooked, but it actually must be al dente and served right away. So yeah, again, hard pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> Keep Man, that shit. Not an ounce of interest. You guys from. have fun with your Warthog <laughs> jeez. <laughs> uh, That's actually all it said. It's not like it's not like the 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 hockle where you know food food was scarce, so they just you know. No, somebody was like, the, "Well, the this sharks. part of the warthog tastes good. I bet his like butt does too. Let's eat that." <laughs> and then everyone else. <laughs> Everyone else near that person took a step far away from them and were like, yeah, that dude's weird. <laughs> His wife left him for one of, for like one of the other tribe members. Cause dude, could you even imagine what someone's breath would smell like after that? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so <clears throat> thankfully that's a quick and not very detailed one. Ugh. Hard pass. Okay. Stinkheads from Alaska. Fermented head of a king salmon buried underground for a few weeks and eaten as a pungent putty like mush. See that entire sentence. No. It is fermented underground for weeks <laughs> and is eaten as a putty like mush. There are few things in this world that I find appetizing when it's in the form of a putty white mush. <laughs> that doesn't sound good at all. Um, also known as aged fish head or fermented fish head, uh, commonly called stinkheads, uh, tepes were considered a traditional special yupik delicacy or yupik delicacy. I cannot pronounce. Well, it is another language. Uh, but really, this is something favored mostly by older Alaska natives. Traditionally, most people continue to make tepa in the summer. Pakavisag uh, uh, is head of fish, including pectoral fins, Chinook, Sokai, Chum, and occasionally Coho salmon were prepared by burying them in the ground and allowed them to ferment before eating. The traditional way to prepare tepas was to bury the heads in the ground along with most of the fish guts in a wooden barrel covered with burlap material. Earthen pits lined with grass were used for this process. Salmon, milk, and eggs were added to the heads, which were then covered with another layer of grass before being covered over with earth. The fermented process took from one to two weeks, depending on temperature of the ground, 
one salmon uh, production unit prepared four pits of tepa. The pits measured approximately 18 inches deep and two feet square and contained approximately 75 salmon heads each. The heads of 1,000 Chinook, 726 sockeye, 1,246 chum, and 41 coho salmon were prepared as tepa by Quiluk households during the 19th. Uh, during 1986. One resident told the researchers to the native, it's like candy or bubble gum, sweet and sour in between the two. I will take your word for it because I'm never going to try it. However, with the introduction of plastic buckets, <laughs> the danger of botulism has surfaced and informant stressed the importance of avoiding these types of modern containers since the old-fashioned methods allowed for oxygen to circulate and prevented the growth of bacteria, which causes botulism. Uh, heads stored underground in plastic bags are more likely to develop botulism than fish stored in grasses. It was soon discovered that the traditional method of preparing the tepas was safer than the modern way. So, yeah. And and once again, this one doesn't even seem like it was done out of a need for food. It's like they're candy. <sighs> <laughs> And 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 just to say, you know, we're we're disgusted by this, but I'm sure some someone somewhere in some other country would look at like the, the sirloin steak that I would just dive, you know, well, yeah, India. dive into and be like, that's gross. Because you can't, you don't, you're not supposed to <laughs> like cows are sacred in Man. India. How like <laughs> it is disgusting that you would eat one. It's like, well, but it looks so eatable. Well. <clears throat> come to find out, right? But come to find out, there there is uh, Punjabi uh, Indians okay. do eat beef. <clears throat> I, I want the origin of the. I want NC the word their origin being that they went over to other countries, had a hamburger, and was like, "We eating them cows." They're like, "Yeah, we eating them cows." <laughs> 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 uh, older cows telling younger cows about the slaughter of 1960. All right, this next one also comes from Vietnam. Uh, and I have to wonder what what is what is wrong with these people? Oh, Cobra I had this one as uh well, I did a list of well, I did a big list. I have like thirty six I have like thirty six of these on my list, right? And then I did ten where I went through all the information and then I picked out five of the other ones that were ones that I wanted to have more information on just so this segment wouldn't go too long. Uh, Cobra Heart was one of the ones I picked because I thought that one was really good too. Right. <clears throat> right. So <clears throat> uh, so, so as, as this article states, why on the earth would eating a beating uh, but why on earth eating a beating cobra heart? It seems a man will well, do anything to acquire more virility. So, and, uh, <laughs> some of the there's a couple of other ones on my list that were also done 
to enhance that it was said that they were eaten to enhance virility in men as well. Like, and one article I read was like, like people will pay anything for confidence, and I was like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, you're right. If people can pay for confidence, they'll buy it. Right. So <clears throat> the hardest cutoff dropped in a shot glass of rice wine and snake blood. And it's and, and it, it's a still beating heart. So <clears throat> Yep, I watched that too. Ramsey video. I like I I, I um, saw that and I was like, ah. Uh, so <clears throat> it looks like the the cobra heart is about the same size as your esophagus. So I, I, I can only imagine trying to squeeze that thing down my throat, still feeling. Well, you're supposed. I think that's why you that. drink it with the <clears throat> with the blood to so it'll just go down easy. Um, for those of you who want to see this in action. Uh, Gordon Ramsay, it is in season two of Gordon's Great Escape series, where Gordon Ramsay tries the heart. Uh, is that all you have for the Cobra Heart? Okay, there's actually more to this. Yes. So when it comes to consuming the Cobra Heart, they you pick the Cobra, and the Cobras are live. So you pick the Cobra, and highly skilled waiters will grab the Cobra you pick, they slit it open, pull out the heart, put it in a little shot glass of its blood, and then you're just supposed to hit it like a shot, right? Then they cut further down the cobra, and they cut out, uh, they, I, I'm not sure, they, it did, no, none of the articles said exactly where they cut, but they let bile out, so I'm assuming it's either the, it's the stomach, because they cut another part of the snake further down, which I would assume is the stomach, and they drain the bile out into a shot glass, and you drink that. Then, if you're really feeling adventurous, they milk, they drain the venom out of its venom sacs into a shot glass, and you drink that. And you would think, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> drinking cobra venom that would kill you? It's like, no, cobra venom is actually harmless if you drink it and it goes into your stomach because your stomach acids naturally break it down and make it harmless. But if you have a cut in your mouth, you die. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Yeah, if you have any kind of exposed or cut or ulcer or anything in your mouth, you die. So keep that in mind. Um, and Gordon in the Gordon Ramsay episode, because I watched it, he drinks the heart, and, and you see, and he like he drinks it down, and you can see when it actually hits him, and he's just like, oh, he like puts his head on the table, and he's just like, oh, oh, and then. And then they uh, drained the vial into a shot glass, and they put it in front of him. And he's like, no. He's like, I just ate its heart. No. And he refuses to do it. <laughs> so they give it to one of the other guys. And the other guy, he just <laughs> drinks it down. And I'm like, oh, these are real fucking men right here. Because the other dude drunk it down, had no outside. He's, no, he's like, I do this all the time. This is nothing. <laughs> like i was like oh these are and then what they do after after those three shots they cut up the rest of the snake and serve it to serve you the rest of the snake and they try they did that with gordon as well they serve him the snake on plat on uh plates and platters and he does eat some of it um 
as far as I know, snake that is cooked and prepared basically tastes like chicken. So that's not too bad. If you can get past the heart, the bile, and the venom, the rest of it should be fine. I actually would like to try it. Um, the heart. I don't want to drink the bile, and I don't want to drink the venom, but I would like to try the heart and to eat the rest of the snake. Um, also, uh, as an extra challenge, if you go to... This is Vietnam where they do this. So if you go to Vietnam and you're a tourist, what they'll also challenge you to do is to bite the... They'll, they'll cut open the snake and expose its heart, and they'll challenge you to bite the heart out of the snake. So yeah, I thought that one was really good too. It, it, it's really gross, but it doesn't sound like it... It doesn't really sound like it would be bad. See, this is my only issue with this though, because you're drinking it it's a live snake that they just cut open right in front of you. You can't humans can't really drink blood because blood has a lot of bullshit in it. Your blood isn't clean. Your blood is actually pretty disgusting because it is how you get nutrients into your cells, but it's also how your body transports all of its waste products like into your uh, intestines so you can poop and pee and stuff like that. That's all transported through your blood. So I feel like drinking the heart and the straight blood of a cobra would just make a lot of people throw up. Like their stomach would just be like, no, not having this. Get it out. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, Shiohara so is next. Japanese. It is a dish made of pieces of meat taken from a selection of sea creatures served in a brown, viscous paste of their own salted and fermented viscera. It's always raw shit. <laughs> always raw. And that's what I noticed about a lot of things. It's <laughs> fermented or partly rotted or or raw, and I'm just like... I mean, back then, I guess we didn't have very many options for cooking things, but still, put it over a goddamn fire. Jeez. Uh, the most common... Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, right. the most common <laughs> shiokara called Iki yeah. no Shiokara is made from small squid that are plentifully available off the coast of Japan. Known as chinmi or rare taste, shiokara can also be made from tuna, shuto, crab, ganzuki, salmon, mefun, and sweetfish, uruka. Each type is a mix of salt, viscera found in the main body cavity, such as the liver or intestines, and more fleshy mm. tissue. Depending on the cook's preferences, shichimi, pepper, wasabi, mirin, or grated yuzu peel are also added to the mixture for zest and flavor. But traditional shiokara is simply salt and seafood. Shiokara, especially uh, Aika no Shiokara, is said to have become a popular dish in the 11th century as a source of protein, fats, and vitamin D during winter months when food was scarce. The entire fermentation process took between a week or 10 days, so Shiokara could be replenished easily. Primarily eaten with rice, a small but complete meal could be had. The flavor is said to be similar to saltiness and fishiness to that of European cured anchovies, but with a different texture. 
One of the best known Chinmi rare tastes is quite strong and is considered something of an acquired taste, even for the native Japanese palate. One method of enjoying it is to consume the serving at one gulp and to follow mm. it with a shot of straight whiskey. Some bars in Japan specialize in shiokara. So yeah, once again, sounds really gross, but maybe not bad, but not for me. <laughs> right. <clears throat> All right, so this one <sighs> comes from Greenland. You're going to love the name of this. Tarmigan okay. shit. It, it has a name that already tells you not to eat it. <laughs> so. Let, 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 let's just make that <laughs> statement pretty clear. It already has a name that is telling you not to eat it. Right. <clears throat> All right. So. The, the article starts, uh, in Greenland, if you tell someone he's mm. eating shit, he will not be offended and may ask you to join him for dinner. So, okay, so it's ptarmigan. Ptarmigan is a beautiful white brittled game bird, which pre-digested willow and birch plant were a, food, a source of food in some parts of Greenland when resources were very limited. So, it's got an origin. So, and, and of course, in Greenland, it's super it's 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 not green yeah it's, uh, it's ice. little history it's lesson uh greenland and iceland for those who may not know greenland is actually uh wintry and a lot of barren tundra or ice like ice and covered snow whereas iceland is actually more tropical and fair weathered and the reason they were named <laughs> this way is Iceland was named that way to keep people from going to it because it was such a treasure trove of it was such a treasure tropical island or valued location. It was named Iceland to keep people from going there. And Greenland was named Greenland, even though it's basically a, you know, Arctic wasteland. So people would go there. Yeah, humans are kind of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was it, was it Eric the Red I do not know who. I do not Eric know who. Uh, unfortunately, my uh, my knowledge of the history of it doesn't get, get that specific. All I know is that the people who founded Greenland wanted more people to come there, so they named it Greenland. And the people who found Iceland wanted less people to go there, so they named it Iceland. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to send you a picture of this. I'm going to put it in our chat. Once again, hard pass. Is hard this pass. the thing with the oh, thing no. and the thing and the thing? Uh, the the ptarmigan shit. That's what I'm sending you. <clears throat> so, all right, so it's now considered a delicacy. One ptarmigan uh, will defecate. 50 times in one, like 50 times in one sport, so they are easy to gather. Urumit, the Inuit name for the bird's droppings, is collected in winter when it's dry because in summer it's all gooey and unpleasant. After harvesting them, cooking follows in rancid seal oil and chunks of seal meat. 
<clears throat> in the old days, the woman of the household made a personal touch on this dish by chewing the meat and spitting it back into the cooking pot. They're, they're using, the author's using the, the medical term, masticating, and then spitting it back in the cooking pot. Sometimes it was mixed with ptarmigan meat or blood. Uh, the, he says, we only found feedback regarding the smell and it's compared with gorgonzola cheese. So, and, hard pass. And, uh, I don't want to eat bird shit. I have one that's along similar lines, <laughs> and it involves a bird. <clears throat> well, that's all well, I've got. For we'll talk so about we'll, uh, the next we'll one on my list uh, first. So, wasp crackers, a Japan dish. This unusual Japanese snack consists of senbei rice crackers filled with digger wasps. It was invented in Omachi by the members of a fan club called Omachi Jibachi Aikokai. I tried to look these guys up and find out more about them. Couldn't find them anywhere. Every time I put that name in, it just brought me to wasp crackers again. Uh, these elderly wasp hunters, most of them in their 80s, catch the wasps, boil and dry them, then sprinkle them over the cracker mix, which is subsequently stamped by hot iron cutters. According to certain sources, wasps contain the highest percentage of protein of any edible insect, a whopping 81% to be exact. For comparison purposes, an average steak contains just 20%. Now you know what the – yeah. Um so this is basically digger wasps that are boiled and put into crackers to eat. Um, I thought it was weird at first, simply because what if you get stung? But I assume the process of boiling them deals with the stinger. Um, once again, yeah, you, well, at least I hope. Uh, sounds gross, but may not be bad. Eh, I wouldn't mind trying it a little bit. It'd have to see how it tastes. <laughs> right. Mm. All right. So we ready for my next one? Um, so if you're ever in Cambodia, you oh, this was my have number. I think this was my number 11. Fried spiders in Cambodia. Yeah. Uh, it's packed with zinc, folic acid, and protein. <clears throat> uh, so, although vicious and poisonous when alive, the edible spiders are a true delicacy, rolled in sugar or garlic and then deep fried in oil. Popular, of course, it'd be a popular attraction for tourists. Yeah, fucking tourists. <laughs> Vendors are selling up to 100 a day. The spiders started to be eaten during the worst political rains on record and saved the Cambodians from starving. I want to say that was Pol Pot because, uh, no, maybe that was Burma. Something, well, yeah, so bad political times. They did what they did, needed to do to survive. Uh, so I guess, yeah, um, a cross between chicken and cod is said to be the taste. Must be due to the crispy legs and exterior, and a mushy interior of the abdomen is not that not every yeah, that I wouldn't want to eat the mushy abdomen either. 
The brown paste contains organs, possibly eggs, and of course, excrement. I don't what, know. What, what, why? And why sometimes they might have eggs chicks? in their abdomen, too. <laughs> I mean, it, if the spider is uh, if the spider is big enough yeah. and can be fried, then yeah, it can be made into a meal. There's some big spiders in the world. Uh, I think uh, I was listening, and crabs, before you cook them, they don't actually have meat inside them. They actually have, like, they're, uh, they just have fluid that is full of, like, proteins and fiber. So when you cook it, it solidifies it into a meat. But they don't actually have normal, hmm? Yeah. yeah. So they don't actually have meat until you so, cook them. Yeah, that them. makes sense. Um, so it might be the same way with the spiders, but I mean, when, when you're starving, food is food. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can say hard pass all like, day, but, but you know, yeah. if my stomach is Ain't empty lying. and I haven't eaten in three weeks, <clears throat> that lizard looks real appetizing. <laughs> So, okay. So, we'll move on. Ah, here we go. This is the one. So, bird's nest soup, Southeast Asia. This Asian delicacy is made from the nest of the wild swiftlet bird, who instead of collecting twigs for its uh, nest, it builds it out of its own gummy saliva, which goes hard when exposed to air. They're usually built high up on cliff faces. Harvesting them is so dangerous that many people die each year doing so. So instead of bird shit, how about bird saliva? Mm-hmm. You want to indirectly kiss oddly, that? Huh? Oddly enough, I'm still hungry. <laughs> you want to indirectly, indirectly kiss? You want to indirectly kiss this bird? <laughs> so the best known use of edible bird's nest is bird's nest soup which is a delicacy a delicacy chinese cuisine when dissolved in water the bird's nest have a favored gelatinous texture utilized in soup or sweet soup it is mostly referred to as yan wo unless references are made to the savory or sweet soup in Chinese cuisine, according to the Qing Dynasty Manual of, Gras- of Gastronomy, the Sui Yuan Shidan. Bird's nest was regarded as a delicate ingredient not to be flavored or cooked with anything overpowering or oily. While it is a rare and expensive, it must be served in relatively large quantities. Otherwise, its texture cannot be fully experienced and enjoyed. Now, when they say rare and expensive, they mean it. It could be and had been sold at prices up to $3,000 per pound. Nope. Ah, I was going to say that's nuts. <clears throat> and it, yeah. and because the uh, because so not only did it become a delicacy that was mainly for the rich. But because it could be sold at such a high price because it was so dangerous to even acquire it, um, 
it became a lucrative business. So even so, despite the dangers, people began harvesting the nests, and they would harvest the nests whether they were complete or not, which actually almost, uh, which actually reduced the swiftlet's uh, population by like eighty percent. Um. So then it got to so which only made it more mm-hmm. valuable, and then what happened was a thing popped up called Swiftlet Hotels or uh, what were they? Swiftlet Hotels. Yeah, Swiftlet Hotels. So then Swiftlet Hotels showed up. And what what a Swiftlet Hotel was, was any abandoned building that was set up to have to attract the Swiftlets to them in order to have the Swiftlets build their nests in the upper portions of it. So people would purchase old abandoned buildings and uh, uh, set them up in such a way to attract Swiftlets to them. And all manner of like um, traditions and uh, wives' tales came out of that. Like if a Swiftlet nested in your hotel, you were given good luck and prosperity, so on, so on, and so forth. But considering how much they sold for, well, of course you would get some form of prosperity if you're harvesting the nest. Um, this is also like a 400 year old dish. Like it's been, it's basically uh, the nests have been used in Chinese cuisine for over 400 years, and there are also red versions of the nest called blood nests. Mm. Um, which why. would promote, yeah, which would promote good health, especially for the skin. So, yeah. <clears throat> I thought it was gross. I'm not eating a bird's saliva. Not eating a bird's poop, and I'm not eating a bird's saliva. <laughs> Indeed. We can agree on that. <laughs> uh, all right. <clears throat> um... So the next one, uh, okay, so let's go with this one because this was also on the other list. Um, Canada has a, uh, well, it says, it says Canada, but also says it's an Alaskan delicacy. Comes from determined wilderness wives of 1834 who made the most of it from whatever their husband brought back from the hunt. Nothing was thrown away. And so was the case of the moose's long bulbous snout. So this is jellied moose nose. Before cooking, jellied, wait, moved, wait, 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 wait. You said jellied <laughs> moose nose? Jellied moose nose. <laughs> How does that even work? Well, so uh, before cooking, the hair is removed and then boiled with onions and spices. Pieces of meat are let to chill in their own broth to a jellied delight. So essentially it's like the, the fat, I guess, and uh, cut afterwards in thin slices. Hmm. Yeah, I'll pass. (laughs) Uh, So when, when we were talking about the whole virility thing, it made me think of the Futurama episode about the, the human horn, mm-hmm. which was yeah. essentially taking their notes. So, and then talking about jelly moose, made me think about it again. 
<laughs> Actually, the uh, since we are getting long, uh, we'll, I'll probably make this one my last one. I, I have a bunch of them, but this is one of the ones I looked into. And since you uh, – are talking about the human horn from Futurama. That actually is a good segue <laughs> into this next one I'm about to talk about. <laughs> all right, uh, let's hear it. All right. It is called Dragon in the Flame of Desire, a Chinese, another Chinese dish. What do you think it is? Semen? <laughs> No, it's not semen. It is, it is a, it is yak's penis. So what the semen comes out of, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and it's just a whole yak's penis that's served to you. And it is, it is steamed, fried, and or flambéed, then served to curious and hungry patients. This delicacy is thought to help women's skin and men's virility, as it is an aphrodisiac. It mm. is so popular that it is that it started a specialized restaurant called Gu Li Zhuang, in which this dish is selling for hundreds of dollars. It this restaurant also offers similar unusual dishes such as battered bull's penis. Carpaccio style deer penis with wasabi dipping sauce. They literally it is literally a restaurant that specializes in the genitalia of animals. Um, uh, that also includes goats, sheep, and snakes on its menu. Uh, the first restaurant was opened by the Guo family in Chinatown of Atlanta, Georgia in 1956 on the occasion of the birth of their son, Jason Guo, the eldest son in the seventh generation of the Guo family. Uh, the restaurant in Beijing was opened in November 2006. Since then, restaurants have been opened in several locations in Beijing. The name of the restaurant is derived from the homophones of the family name of its founder, Guo, the family name of his wife, Li, as well as the nickname of their son, Zhuang, and literally means the strength inside the pot, which is hilarious when you realize what's inside the pot is something's dong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a comedian. I, I this just popped into my head, but it makes me think there there was a comedian I was listening to, and he was talking about how he went to a restaurant because he was looking for uh something for his virility in bed to satisfy his wife, and he was talking to a uh, Asian guy who was a preparer at like the food court, and so the guy suggested he eat eel, so he prepared a bunch of this eel. And gave it to the guy and gave it to the, the guy. So the guy took it home. He ate it. He didn't really feel any different or anything like that. But he had an accident where he like hurt his arm. So his arm got put into a sling and he also injured his eye. So he had like a wrap around his head and his eye. I, I think he like fell off a ladder or something. He was doing something, fell off like a ladder or something. Right. So he goes back to the restaurant the next day. And the guy sees him, and the guy starts doing, like, the fist pump, and he's like, ah, the power! The power! <laughs> I don't know which comedian it was, but that, it makes me think of that, because that's so hilarious. Um, 
Now, they also have on their menu other poetic names for what they serve, such as the Essence of the Golden Buddha, the Phoenix Rising, Jasmine Flowers with Thousand Layers, Look for the Treasure in the Desert Sand, Head Crowned with a Jade Bracelet, and of course, Dragon in the Flame of Desire. <laughs> so they just they just have all these elaborate names for all the different penises that they serve. <laughs> so good. I, once again, hard pass, but that is just hilarious. Indeed. Um, so so I'll, I'll give I'll give an honorable mention to to round it off. Uh, this one's American. Rocky Mountain Oysters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't know what those are, those are young bull testicles. They're battered and fried, usually. Once again, hard pass. (laughs) Hard pass. (sighs) Yeah. So, final thoughts. Um... Yeah, humans uh, humans will eat anything. <laughs> like that that's really my we'll eat any fucking thing. We don't even like I mean to be fair, like I said, uh, not all, but some of these foods came about because the poor had to eat something. And whether it's a spider, whether it is the intestines of an of an animal, like when you're hungry, you you fucking eat something like I, I I'm not mad at them right but some of these dishes what the <laughs> fuck why just <laughs> like it just feels like people just got bored like it sounds like people who eat well all the time and just got bored with shit and we're like huh. I wonder what that yak's penis tastes like. Or I wonder what that bird's <laughs> nest tastes like. Or I wonder what 10 little boys urine would taste like. Like, <laughs> like this shark is poisonous. This shark is so poisonous it would kill you otherwise. But eh, if I buried it in the ground and let it rot for and let it ferment for a little while, I wonder how it would taste then. It's just, it, obviously it's not meant to be eaten. Stop it! <laughs> like swat, swatting a bad human. Bad. Uh, Don't make me get the water bottle. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like, uh, a, dude, wh- going through this list of the grossest things that humans eat and just finding all these different things. Remember when I would talk about how when kids are babies, they're constantly trying to kill themselves because there's two Fine, things: yep. either it's food or it's something to play with. And they're just constantly put – it makes the adults sound the same way. If they can fit it in their mouth, it must be food. They're like, like no, mother – like, this must be how – God must feel like this sometimes. It's like, no, just because you can put it in your mouth doesn't mean that's where it goes, you motherfucker. Stop it. No, just because you can have sex with it doesn't mean you should have sex with it. Stop it. <laughs> like, it's just like, mm. Uh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. just, just stop. <laughs> oh man, 
Just don't. <laughs> just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just it's like we were so we were so happy. We what well, what are the lines from Jurassic Park? Uh, we were so caught up. We were so in worried. The, go ahead. You were so worried about if you could. You didn't stop to think there, if you should. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, also as an honorable mention, monkey brains, China, Southeast Asia. That's an actual thing. It's not just out of the Indiana Jones movie. That is an actual thing that they actually ate, and they ate it because they thought eating the brains of a monkey would impart the, the uh, animal's wisdom to them. So that's an actual thing that absolutely was eaten. Does not surprise me. Like, just... <laughs> uh, and, one, and one other quick fact. Um, we, we all know that fish and chips is like a uh, British kind of staple, right? Like it was... That was how, when back in the day, the poor... They, that's how they would eat. They'd have, they'd have fish and fries. Yeah. Did you know that they almost fished? Uh, uh, I think it was cod. They almost fished that fish out of existence by making fish and chips. I'm not surprised. It's the same thing with uh, the swiftlet bird. They almost like just harvesting its nest. They nearly they, they first off they made it endangered and they almost. They almost made that bird extinct because of right. that. So, yeah, like. Yeah, I'm, right, I'm so not surprised I'm getting, at all. Since I'm getting paged, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Okay. Um, but yeah, so gross is foods. Uh, they all sound gross. Not all of them. All of them may not absolutely actually be gross. Um, if it literally sounds, it, the only advice I can give you is if it sounds like something that shouldn't go in your mouth, don't put it in your fucking mouth. <laughs> That's all the advice I can really give you. <laughs> if it doesn't sound like it should be food, it probably shouldn't be food. Um, uh, we'll see how Hannibal goes. Uh, Mandalorian, good episode. I enjoyed it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, of the grossest foods, some of them I think actually I'd kind of like to try them and see, you know, see what we have for exotic taste. But a lot of them, yeah, nah, hard pass. <laughs> Indeed. Um, there would be some foods I'd like to try. None of them on that list, though. Um, but, and also, yes, good episode of Mandalorian. Uh, okay episode of Hannibal. Hopefully they uh, they can get it back on track to where it was in the first you know handful of episodes where you know I was really enjoying it and looking forward to the next one, making myself not watch the next one. Uh, hopefully they can get that back. Yeah. Um, so Gerald wanted to start this um, to to tell you what to tell the listeners what's going to be next week. Um, so next week we will cover. Episode 6 of The Mandalorian, Episode 11 of Hannibal. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and put it out since I had suggested it the other day. Our main topic is going to be number stations. Okay. I still don't exactly fully understand what that means. 
number stations are what uh, were used by spies in the Cold War. So, like, uh, you, you know, a spy would listen on a shortwave radio to hear a broadcast, write down the numbers and letters that was broadcast, and decode it using a one-time pad to get their orders. Huh. Okay. I actually did not know that. Yes. And uh, there are several, one of which uh, was was kind of uh, an obsession of mine that led me to finding out about number stations. But uh, I will save that for next week because it's, uh, it's an interesting one. It's one of the few number stations that still runs today. I mean, there's, there, there are still plenty that run, but this one's a, a more infamous one. So with that, uh, Gerald, go ahead and take us out. Okay. So thank you for joining us again. Everybody continue having a good day, good week. Be safe out there. Keep yourselves warm or cool, depending on uh, whatever climate you might be in. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>